Five years ago, when I started Stratton Oakmont with Donnie Azoff, I, I knew the day would eventually come where I'd have to be moving on. And it's truly with a heavy heart that I'm, I'm here to say that that, that that day is finally here. I want to I thank you all for your, your years of loyalty and, and admiration, but uh, the point is this. Under Donnie's leadership, along with Nikki Koskoff and, and Robbie Feinberg, moving into key management positions, this place really is it, it's going to be better than ever. That I promise you, okay? This is Ellis Island here, people. I don't care who you are, where you're from, whether your relatives came over on a, on a fucking Mayflower or an inner tube from Haiti. This right here is the land of opportunity. Stratton Oakmont is America. All of you know Kimmy Belzer, right? Yes, we do. Fuck you. Come on, Kimmy. What you probably didn't know is Kimmy was one of the first brokers here, one of Stratton's original 20. Now, most of you met Kimmy, the beautiful, sophisticated woman that she is today. A woman that wears $3,000 Armani suits, <laughs> who drives a brand new Mercedes Benz. A woman who, who spends her, her winters in the Bahamas and her summers in the Hamptons. That's not the Kimmy that I met. The Kimmy that I met didn't have two nickels to rub together. She was a single mom on the balls of her ass with an eight-year-old son. Okay, she was three months behind on her rent. And when she came to me and asked me for a job, she asked for a $5,000 advance just, just so she could pay her son's tuition. What I do, Kimmy? Go on, tell me. You wrote me a check for twenty-five thousand dollars. That's right. And you know why that is? It's because I believed in you. It's because I believed in you, Kimmy. Just like I believe in each and every one of you here today. I fucking love you, Jordan. I fucking love I you. I fucking love you. I love you. I fucking love you too. I fucking love you too. And I love all of you. And I love all of you from the bottom of my heart. I mean that. For years, I've been telling you guys never to take no for an answer, right? You know, to, to keep pushing, to never hang up the phone until you get what you want. Because you all deserve it. You know this fucking deal that I'm about to sign? Barring me from the securities industry, barring me from Stratton, my home. <laughs> the fuck is that? You know, I'll tell you what it is. It's, it's, it's me taking no for an answer, you know. It's them 
It's them selling me, not the other way around. It's, it's me being a hypocrite is what it is. So, you know what? I'm not leaving. I'm not leaving. I'm not fucking leaving. The show goes on! This is my home! They're gonna need a fucking wrecking ball to take me out of here! They're gonna need to send in the National Guard a fucking SWAT team, cause I ain't going nowhere! God, if your life had a face, I would punch it. Yeah. Wait, what? Let me ask you something. Why would always you make the point of saying someone's not a genius? Do you think I'm especially not a genius? Veronica, why are you pulling my dick? Suck my fat one, you cheap dime store hood. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another installment of The Greatest Moments in the History of Forever. I'm Zach. I'm Matt. And this is episode number 299, The Wolf of Wall Street. We've seen a few Christmas movies together during our time. I think this is the most memorable one. Christmas Day viewings, movies to see on Christmas. I think we knew going in, too. Yeah. I was mentally prepared. I, I flew back from North Carolina that day. I can't remember if I drove straight to the theater, but I feel like it was also one of those things where we went into the theater and it was normal outside, and then we left and it, like, it had been a snowstorm. It's possible, but it was a special birthday for Jesus. Definitely. With the film that set a Guinness World Record for profanity. <laughs> Three hours of debauchery. Oh, yeah. I actually went back and listened to our part two of our top 10 lists of the decade. Okay. Because I knew I had this high up. Okay. I had this at number three. Wow. For the 2010s, for my favorite films. Holy shit. So here we are, The Wolf of Wall Street. Who knows how long this is going to be, but this is our 299th episode. We're on the cusp of 300, and we're going to take a break before we get there. Just a reminder so everyone knows. I'm not sure yet if I'm releasing this on New Year's Eve or New Year's Day. I'm actually thinking probably that night. That would be exciting for people, I'm sure. To wake up New Year's Day yeah. after partying and listening to this <laughs> marathon. Make everyone feel better. Before we jump into The Wolf of Wall Street, let's remind everyone to follow the show on Twitter at GreatestPod and make sure you're subscribed to the podcast on Apple Podcasts Podbean, etc., wherever you find us, please give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. 
If you'd like a free sticker, contact us through Twitter, and we'll send that to you. And finally, find us on Letterboxd, Zach1983 and Matt Crosby. I hate Letterboxd. Yeah, but I'm probably going to pay for yeah, me too. Pro for Same. another year because I think mine comes up in I just March think there's I, there's like an adverse relationship with the amount of followers I get versus like the amount of interactions or likes or anything on anything. It's I do not a there. high engagement situation. Yeah. You really have to put in the time to become one of those high engagement profiles, right. and I don't really have that kind of patience. No, I do enjoy it, but it it's kind of like any other collection like we were talking about earlier. It does kind of wear on me after a while. Like I have this drive of, okay, I need to keep logging things and build up this library on there. But then I get worn down. Or well, you, you I didn't just log anything. Yeah, well, I didn't bail from the original plan, which was to log things as we watched them. That's what you convinced me to do. And then you just decided to change course. All right, I'm cutting this out. <laughs> no one, <laughs> we talk about Letterboxd too much. The schedule upcoming, I would say probably about mid-January we were discussing for episode 300. Give everyone a chance to catch up. We've been overloading you with content. That's something I've learned. It's too much. By checking out people who are content creators on uh-huh. Instagram or wherever. They're always concerned about giving their followers content. Sorry I didn't give you any content over the weekend, but I was busy. Or whatever. It so is weird. I thought that maybe having a lot of episodes would be good, but I do realize that a lot of our episodes are very long, and sometimes people don't have time to listen to all of them. So you're going to have a couple weeks. Yeah. I would think most of our people thankful when we're not giving them content. <laughs> most people would prefer we would do less. Yeah. I'll say this, though. Episode 300 will be a big one. Absolutely. Finally, listener requests. Mm-hmm. The world buzzing about our recent decisions. I did get a message from a friend slash listener who thinks the merch listener request for money combo is a good idea and would draw some interest. So yeah, we will probably finalize some sort of a plan going forward. But to reiterate the point we've been making recently, if you have not yet given us a single listener request, and you would like to, that is open to you for free until January 6th, this upcoming Friday. We still prefer a list, so if you have a few options, better. Yeah, that would probably be better, although we've been pretty accommodating uh-huh. lately. I'd but say so. There's certain situations where you may request something that we have earmarked for later, or something that we just don't feel like we would be equipped to do, or whatever, or something that's not available easily. So yeah, it would probably be easier to give us a couple of options, but this is only for people who have not yet done them, and that will be free up until January 6th, and then after that, anyone can give a listener request, but there will be money involved as a donation, Mm. something like that. Someone's just like, I'd love it. I'd love to hear you guys' thoughts on Schindler's List. <laughs> that would probably be a veto. Yeah. Although so. once we start charging money, I would say anything that's available is fair game. Mostly, yeah. I don't think we should say anything. <laughs> <laughs> anything that's a feature film that yeah. is available, I feel like we should be okay. Okay. Well, if it's controversial, we can yeah. talk about the controversy. That's right. Whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. I'm good. But we haven't generated a ton of new interest in the listener True. request, so I don't know how popular that will be, but that doesn't matter. We're we'll still advertise it at the beginning of every show. No. Maybe. I, I doubt it. Okay. Once we get past this January 6th hurdle, it probably won't be mentioned again. <laughs> <laughs> Until someone asks, someone yeah. who doesn't know, 
on Twitter. And I'm like, well, that'll be $1,000, please. (laughs) (laughs) The Wolf of Wall Street was released in 2013. It was directed by Martin Scorsese. When we did After Hours earlier this year, I promised we would get to another Scorsese. Here we are. And this is probably one that people would be expecting us to do more so than an obscure movie like After Hours. I would think. It is funny. We do these episodes all the time and my perception of how I think a movie gets made changes because I never spend time looking into these things. I just assumed this was a movie that Scorsese wanted to direct and not realizing that DiCaprio was really the the first guy to get involved in this one and those two have a history together. It was written by Terrence Winter, based on the 2007 memoir of the same name by Jordan Belfort. The budget was $100 million. The box office was $406 million, Scorsese's highest grossing film. Insane. It was nominated for five Academy Awards, Best Picture, Best Director, Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Actor for Leonardo DiCaprio, and Best Supporting Actor for Jonah Hill. It won zero. It was released on Christmas Day. The Wolf of Wall Street is considered an epic biographical black comedy crime film. How about that? It was the funniest film of 2013 and perhaps the last truly hilarious film released. Without question, the film is morally ambiguous, unflinching, sociopathic, and controversial. Also, I would say beloved. It's interesting. I don't think when I walked out of this movie, it dawned on me that it would be so popular. Yeah, I would say all of those things serve as proof of what people want, and all of those things are part of what makes it fucking awesome. Yeah. Now, there is a lot to say about the morality of this film and the existence of this film, and that's something that we will tackle as we go, and especially at the end. But no one was bowing down to the hand-wringing morality police at this point in time. And there is no hand-holding through the Wolf of Wall Street. Either you understand that Jordan Belfort and company are shitbags, or you don't. The film is not going to sit there and tell you over and over again. That's not what this movie is. Although it seems like you should understand that. Well, I would say a lot of people look at this film as aspirational, and they want to be Jordan Belfort. But that's more a reflection on society and not the film itself. No one is preaching at you on screen, reminding you that what they're doing is bad. And one of the things that people worry about when it comes to this film is that the quote-unquote wrong people like it, which is a... What a thing to worry about. Phrase that makes me say, yuck. Yeah, people like laying in bed staring at their ceiling like, I cannot believe that people are misinterpreting this movie. Well, they feel guilty that they enjoy it, but then they see people who aspire to be like Jordan Belfort and want to celebrate him in a certain way, and they get upset. But this is the same bullshit that people have been saying about movies for decades. I actually earmarked a... Reddit post, which I believe I have since lost, (laughs) about the film Fight Club. And it was this whole thesis written by someone who seemed very intelligent, had well-made points, but their ultimate conclusion was the film 
is bad because the wrong people like it and have misinterpreted the message and commandeered it. And I was thinking, well, you've made a strong argument, but you've reached the wrong conclusion. Is the film bad or is the audience bad? Art is art. And I'll just leave it at that for now. Okay. I don't want to get too far down that road because we'll get back to it later. Very well. But I think most importantly, and what our audience appreciates the most, is that this film is also noteworthy for introducing us to Marco Robbie. Certainly a significant moment in the history of Forever. It's one of the great, absolutely jaw-dropping, out-of-nowhere arrivals in film history. <laughs> Stunning, really. I know that... We've been criticized in the past, but sexism be damned. This was fucking wild. We walked out of that theater, and that's what we were talking about. It is just one of those things that people comment on. I don't care what gender. It jumps out at you. It's noticeable. I immediately was comparing her to Jamie Presley, which is something the internet has picked up on over time. And coming from me, a huge fan of Poison Ivy 3, that's a big compliment. (laughs) Yes. That doesn't get any better. But yeah, that's something that we'll touch on when we go through the movie and we actually get to the introduction of the Naomi character. How rare and special that is to be caught off guard. Because there are plenty of times where there'll be like a beautiful woman or a handsome man who's very muscular or something, and it'll be a very small part. I know. This is a huge part in this movie made by Martin Scorsese starring the biggest movie star with a $100 million budget, and who the fuck is this person? Right, but the second you walk out of there, you know this person is a star and is just going to be around for a decade now. Right, exactly. So there's a lot to cover with a movie that's three hours long. We're not going to go crazy. I'm going to try to keep this episode somewhat manageable. I know that, as I said earlier, we've been really weighing everyone down with an insane amount of content. So here's some things we're not going to get too deep into to save ourselves the time and trouble. First of all, there is a big scandal involving the film's financing and Red Granite Pictures and the whole thing with Malaysia and all that shit. I don't care. We're not talking about it. I know nothing about it other than I would just speculate that it seems like getting the financing for this movie would be tricky. Well, yeah, it didn't come from a studio. Yeah. The other thing is the real names of the people in the film or the differences in Jordan Belfort's real life or the story of Stratton Oakmont or any of that stuff, I straight up don't care. There you go. This movie is awesome and highly entertaining, as films should be. I love Scorsese and I love DiCaprio. The supporting players are also phenomenal, but that's all I need when it comes to The Wolf of Wall Street. I'm not interested in reality when it comes to actual Wall Street scumbags. There are a couple of times where I may mention something because it enhances our discussion. Yeah, there's some interesting footnotes, probably. But every time a new character is introduced, calling out what their real name is, no, I don't care. Come on, who cares? Everybody's name is essentially different, except for Jordan. But they're all slight modifications, too. Yeah, exactly. Even his wife. Right. They're all different. It doesn't matter. The world of investing can be a jungle. Bulls, bears, danger at every turn. That's why we at Stratton Oakmont pride ourselves on being the best. Trained professionals to guide you through the financial wilderness. Stratton Oakmont. Stability. 
integrity, pride. As Matt alluded to, in 2007, Leonardo DiCaprio and Warner Brothers won a bidding war for the rights to Jordan Belfort's memoir, The Wolf of Wall Street, with Belfort making $1 million off the deal. Having worked on writing the film's script, Martin Scorsese was considered to direct the film, but abandoned the project to work on Shutter Island instead. He describes that time period as having wasted five months of his life without getting a green light on production dates by the Warner Brothers studio. In 2010, Warner Brothers had offered the directorial role to Ridley Scott with DiCaprio playing the male lead, but the studio eventually abandoned the project. Cut to 2012, a green light was given by the independent company, Red Granite Pictures. Most importantly, they were imposing no content restrictions, which is what reignited Scorsese's interest. He comes back in. Paramount ends up distributing the film, but... The financing all came from Red Granite, which is why they were able to get away with everything they were able to get away with. Although, as we were discussing before we started recording, we've done a lot of films on this podcast where we talk about the struggle mm-hmm. to get them to be R-rated versus NC-17 or X-rated. Then you see something like this. And there's no accounting for the cumulative effect. Right. There's no one moment in The Wolf of Wall Street that I would say okay, this by itself mm-hmm. is NC-17, but it's non-stop. It's an amalgam of fucking <laughs> debauchery for three hours. In addition to DiCaprio, Jonah Hill, and Margot Robbie, The Wolf of Wall Street is packed with notable names. Kyle Chandler, Rob Reiner, John Bernthal, mm. Matthew McConaughey, yes, who we'll talk about plenty when we get to that scene and that whole situation. John Favreau. Jean Dujardin, yes. coming off of The Artist. That's right. Kristen Milioti, Shea Wiggum, Henry Zabrowski from last podcast on the left, Ethan Souple, Jake Hoffman, Dustin's son, playing Steve Madden, hmm. Aya Cash, yes. Jordan Belfort himself, <laughs> Thomas Middleditch, Fran Lebowitz, and Spike Jones. Jam-packed. On the day... The Wolf of Wall Street started filming. Director Martin Scorsese was just under three months shy of turning 70 years old. However, it must be said that the legend directs the absolute fuck out of this thing. (laughs) Absolutely no signs of slowing down. This movie is rock and roll, brimming with vitality. He's a maestro packing the three-hour runtime with endless flourishes, intriguing choices, and visually spectacular scenes. What I mean by that is there's slow motion, there's voiceover, there's freeze frame, there's fourth wall breaking. Everything is in your face, bombastic. It's got that Goodfellas departed montage Mm -hmm. feel, but it's also including a lot of other shit that those movies didn't even dare do because it just seems like he threw the rule book out and was willing to go for anything. Right. Anything that made the scene jump out or work or flow into something else. Yeah. And you do understand only wanting to be involved with limited editing from other people because if you're going to embark on this type of journey, you have to have the freedom to let your hair down. Well, that seems like the whole reason to do the movie at all. Yeah, yeah. If you were just going to focus on the crimes and the details... 
it would be fucking boring. Right. You need the, the decadence. The point is the decadence. Yeah. yeah. Most of the dialogue was improvised, and there's an all-star team's worth of capable performers to do that. Scorsese also confirmed that some of the editing is odd on purpose, especially the scenes in which one or more characters are high. Every time Jordan is seen taking drugs, the scenes that follow have continuity issues and often flow oddly. I also thought that it was interesting to note that there was a four-hour cut of the film Mm -hmm. that at one point was promised to be released on Blu-ray, but has thus far not been released despite the film getting multiple releases on Blu-ray and 4K and everything else. It's in the vault. I have two different Blu-rays at my house right now. I would have to say that at one point, it probably seemed like it would be a fun idea, and then they looked at the footage and realized that the world has changed. It's too much. And that footage has probably aged terribly. (laughs) I'm guessing some of it is even more extreme than what we saw based on some of the comments from some of the performers. Yeah, which is saying something. Yeah, I just think that the climate is not right. (laughs) That's my guess. Yeah, Maybe one day that we'll see the light of day, but probably not anytime soon. I will give... A special shout out, though, to the Arrow 4K release for our physical media heads out there. It's Mm. got really cool packaging on the inside, a great booklet. It's designed like a, I don't know, some sort of a portfolio wallet style thing with like a fake $100 bill and a fake credit card and all this weird shit in it. Yeah, I'm staring at it right now. It looks pretty cool. I did enjoy it. And to keep with tradition that we've started recently this film is streaming on paramount plus it's the first one that isn't on hbo max lately but yeah so if you haven't watched it check it out on paramount plus speaking of physical media too i know we've talked about this before but i have a 4k copy with a 4k and a blu-ray the 4k wasn't working so i put the blu-ray in and i'm like this blu-ray looks incredible like, how can the, something look better than this? I don't know what the 4K would have looked like, but... Well, you know. Yeah. I don't really think the difference is that big. Yeah, yeah. But what can you do? I'm just saying, it's a good-looking movie. My name is Jordan Belfort. Not him. Me. That's right. I'm a former member of the middle class raised by two accountants in a tiny apartment in Bayside, Queens. The year I turned 26 as the head of my own brokerage firm... I made $49 million, which really pissed me off because it was three shy of a million a week. No, 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 no. My Ferrari was white like Don Johnson's in Miami Vice, not red. See that humongous estate down there? That's my house. My wife, Naomi, the Duchess of Bay Ridge, Brooklyn. A former model and Miller-like girl. Yeah, she was the one with my cock in her mouth in the Ferrari. So put your dick back in your pants. In addition to Naomi and my two perfect kids, I own a mansion, private jet, six cars, three horses, two vacation homes, and a 170-foot yacht. Of course, we have Leonardo DiCaprio in the lead role as Jordan Belfort, which complicates the issue because although i don't think Mm -hmm. jordan belfort is an ugly man by any means yeah it's always a glow up right when you have leonardo dicaprio or brad pitt or whoever portraying someone in a film so right away yeah 
the charisma is different. The audience is going to react in a certain way. I know it's like he's gonna immediately be at least somewhat likable. He's got charm. He's bringing in a history that we as yes. the audience are familiar with, whether it's Titanic or any number of other roles. This isn't our fucking Jack. <laughs> well, I think that it just plays into yeah, how yeah. people perceive the film and some of the criticisms around the film. And I know. That is one of the things, because people are always going to be like, well, you're celebrating this character, but you have this built in, it's DiCaprio. Yeah, and that's what complicates it, but yeah. we'll get into that more later. I, I, I think that if you're looking to art to be your moral compass, then you're lost already. And I think that specifically with this film, people were trying to hold it to some sort of a standard that exceeded the standard held by our own society, which is sort of the point of the movie, mm-hmm. which we'll talk about when we get the, to the end. But I thought it was silly to try to ask more of this film than what we did as a legal system to these people, than what we did as a True. real society to these people. <laughs> yeah, I know. We'll get there. Yep. The film opens in the midst of the good times. Jordan, through narration, tells us that he made $49 million the previous year, which annoyed him because it was one short of a million per week, and he's getting roadhead in a white Lamborghini Countach, like Don Johnson in Miami Vice, and it's unbelievable to think that he's getting roadhead from a woman that looks like margot robbie <laughs> you're immediately thinking this is the best man that's ever lived this and he's at the life. peak yes but quickly we understand that it's not only full decadence at home but it is at work too they're doing insane shit in the office they're tossing little people at a target and gambling on it his gorgeous wife naomi is played by Margot Robbie, who we'll talk about more later when we actually get into the story proper. This is still the introduction. She's a former model and Miller Lite girl. Pretty good gig. It feels like they're literally dangling her out there well before she really is introduced into the movie. Yeah, and I... Check this out. (laughs) Well, true. I also think immediately when we meet him and his first wife, you're like, oh, okay. (laughs) She's not going to be in the picture for long. Yeah, you get the writing on the wall. There yep. is a growing sense of dread, too, for us Kristen Milioti fans. Yeah, right. You see that coming a mile away. and This poor woman. doesn't feel good. Although, in the end, you're kind of thinking, maybe she just got out I think so. at the right time. Yes. But even in this introduction, we are sort of nearing the end of what would be considered the good times. Drugs, hookers, drinking, gambling. It's all adding up. One of the first things... That you see, and it's again, it's 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 a hard movie to talk about. It's an avalanche of things happening, it's all out of sequence and randomly. But this always stuck with me because I remember having a nice family Christmas. Grandma's over at the house. I'm going to this movie. (laughs) Forty minutes later, I'm sitting in a dark theater with Matt and some other friends, and there's shot from the front, almost like a horizon of that woman's bare ass yeah jordan belfort burying his face <laughs> as if he's doing coke out of it we were discussing this we're not even 100 yeah. percent sure what he's doing because it seems like he's sucking the coke right not even snorting it yeah and i just remember thinking wow this is christmas <laughs> this is what christmas is all about <laughs> christmas time is here but i knew then that the rumors of what we were oh, yeah. going to be expecting were true 
because uh, I knew that this was going to be a crazy fucking movie. Yeah, like usual, I get most of my information that I know about the world from you, and I didn't follow a lot about this movie going into it, and you were like, yeah, this is like set some sort of record for how many curse words are in it. And I was like, oh, shit, okay, we're in for... And then when, like, this is how the movie opens up, I'm like, oh, boy, we're in yeah, for a ride. we're not pulling any punches. Yeah. I know that we've become broken records on the show, and we say the same shit week in and week out. Definitely. I just can't imagine this movie existing now for a lot of reasons. Mm-hmm. First and foremost, movies aren't good anymore. <laughs> Maybe 2013 was the last time we were allowed to have fun movies. I, I don't actually, know. Oh, I can't believe that that was 10 years ago. Yeah, we're getting Whew. old. Time is just slipping by. It really is sad. At the very least, because of the excess, the drugs, the cocaine, the alcohol, everything else going on, of course, the lewds, which is a big part of the film, we know that like many other Scorsese films, we have an unreliable narrator. Mm-hmm. Though, if you do a little research, you do find out that a lot of the film is accurate. Not only accurate to the book, but accurate to real life. You can cross-reference these events. However, details may change, things get exaggerated, and ultimately, I would say the closest comp is probably Goodfellas. Sure. But there's something almost more frenetic about this movie. The pace is different. The way things are strung together, scenes happen and then you're on to something else that doesn't even seem related yeah i think it benefits multiple viewings just so you can try to get your bearings straight a little bit better but i think it was sean fennessy or somebody like that who said that the movie opens on the third act of goodfellas and just stays there the whole time (laughs) now i don't a hundred percent agree with that because i do think that when you make that comparison you're automatically saying that the walls are caving in the whole time But I get what he means, that energy Mm -hmm. where Ray Liotta is completely coked out of his mind and paranoid and losing it. And that's the energy that this movie has almost the whole time. Definitely. Even if they aren't quite collapsing yet from scrutiny. Yep. On a daily basis, I consume enough drugs to sedate Manhattan, Long Island, and Queens for a month. Okay, Mr. Jordan. I take quaaludes 10 to 15 times a day for my back pain, Adderall to stay focused, Xanax to take the edge off, pot to mellow me out, cocaine to wake me back up again, and morphine well, because it's awesome. Morning, make the. But of all the drugs under God's blue heaven, there is one that is my absolute favorite. See, enough of this shit'll make you invincible. Able to conquer the world and eviscerate your enemies. Oh! And I'm not talking about this. I'm talking about this. See, money doesn't just buy you a better life, better food, better cars, better pussy. It also makes you a better person. You can give generously to the church or a political party of your choice. You can save the fucking spotted owl with money. I always wanted to be rich. So let me go back. I'm 22 years old, newly married, and already a money-crazed little shit. So what do I do? 
I go to the one place on Earth that befit my high-minded ambitions. Now that we've got the introduction out of the way, we are taken back to the start. It's 1987. Jordan lands a job as a Wall Street stockbroker for L.F. Rothschild, employed under Mark Hanna, played by Matthew McConaughey. And this was in still like the cool McConaughey era. Yeah. L.F. Rothschild was a merchant and investment banking firm based in the United States and founded in 1899. The firm collapsed following the 1987 stock market crash, which will be a part of the film. In a second, Jordan is quickly enticed into the drug-fueled stockbroker culture and Hannah's belief that a broker's only goal is to make money for himself. So what we see right away with Jordan Belfort is that he is filled with ambition, but also a certain naivete, which makes him more normal and relatable and human. But this scene with Mark Hanna, where he talks about mainlining adrenaline and all oh, this yeah. shit, <laughs> it sort of buffs out those human qualities and turns him into this person that he is the rest of the film. There's an initial reluctance. I don't know if it's even reluctance. It's almost confusion. Stunned. Yeah. That's what I mean where it's naivete. Like, he never even considered that as a possibility. Yeah. That people are just ordering three martinis immediately at their lunch break. Yeah. Well, the big takeaway from The Wolf of Wall Street is that there are somehow people out there who are able to function like this. It's you shocking. hear about the amount of substances, and this is sort of where it starts, where he can't even believe that this guy is drinking all these drinks, and then he's going to do coke to stay awake, and that's how he's going to function in the afternoon. I don't think you can really overstate the significance of the lunch scene between Jordan. For sure. Who is still a newcomer and a nobody. And Hannah, someone Jordan is aspiring to be. The seasoned vet. Who's got all of this information to impart on him. And of course, Jordan will take it and run with it. Matthew McConaughey's scenes were shot on the second week of filming the chest beating and humming performed by him was improvised and actually a warm-up right that he performs before acting. When DiCaprio wow. saw it while filming, the brief shot of him looking away uneasily from the camera was actually him looking at Scorsese for approval. DiCaprio encouraged them to include it in their scene and later claimed it set the tone for the rest of the film, which is something I would agree with because... Uh-huh. Watching this movie twice for the podcast and really fixating on this scene, this is where you understand that there's going to be this absurdist gonzo energy to the film and the performances. Yeah, It just feels so alive compared to most movies. I just love these stories because it really is the magic of filmmaking. These moments that make something so much better than what was planned. Yeah, and I think Scorsese is such a great director because he's so open to different shit yeah. and willing to try different stuff. And he understands the difference between the f- projects he works on and he knows what works with what. So, of course, when he goes off to make Silence after this movie, <laughs> there's probably not as much improvising. Sure. But he understands what's going to work, what the energy's like. I would say that The Wolf of Wall Street and the character of... Mark Hanna, even though he is briefly in it, is essential to what we now know as the McConaissance. That's right. 
you can see his Dallas Buyers Club weight loss still I know. pretty visible. Does look insanely skinny in these scenes. But yeah, this was a real moment. And then all of a sudden, you're 100% buying that the star of Failure to Launch and How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days is mm-hmm. going to be in the next Christopher Nolan huge budget film That's right. as the lead. Because of things like this. Yeah. We did Killer Joe Absolutely. on the podcast. That was a big part of it, too, in my opinion. Go back and listen to that up if you missed it. This lunch is supposed to be taking place in the World Trade Center. But the important parts of it are that Hannah conveys that what they do as stockbrokers is all not real and that it preys upon the addiction mm-hmm. of the people that they're talking to, this idea that they're going to get rich and that they're going to get rich quick. But all they <laughs> but isn't do- isn't it mutually beneficial if you're getting the clients rich? No. Fuck the clients. <laughs> all they really do is quote unquote on paper. It's yeah. not real. Some great stuff here about jerking off. I know. <laughs> How many times a week do you jerk off? Those are rookie numbers. You got to pump those up. <laughs> the best is though is when he says, I jerk off twice a day. Now, I want to, but that's not why I do it. I need to. <laughs> I fucking need to. Just the, I want to. Like, yeah, I want to, but. <laughs> hey, you. bring for you on this glorious afternoon well Hector here's the game plan you're gonna bring us two absolute martinis you know how I like them straight up and then precisely seven and one half minutes after that you're gonna bring us two more then two more after that every five minutes until one of us passes the fuck out <laughs> excellent strategy sir uh, I'm, I'm good for, with water for now though thank you it's his first day on Wall Street give him time thank you mm-hmm thank you Mr. Hanna, you were able to do drugs during the day and then still function, still do your job. Well, how the fuck else would you do this job? Cocaine and hookers, my friend. Right. <laughs> I, I gotta say, I'm incredibly excited to be a part of your firm. I mean, uh, <laughs> you, the clients you have are absolutely... Fuck dumb. the clients. Your only responsibility is to put meat on the table. You got a girlfriend? I'm, I'm married. I have... A, my wife, her name's Teresa. She cuts hair. Congratulations. Thank you. Think about Teresa. Name of the game? Move the money from your client's pocket into your pocket. Right. But if you can make a client's money at the same time, it's advantageous to everyone. Correct? No. <laughs> Number one rule of Wall Street. Nobody. I don't care if you're Warren Buffett or if you're Jimmy Buffett, nobody knows if the stock is going to go up, down, sideways, or in fucking circles. Least of all stockbrokers. Mm-hmm. Right? It's all a fugazi. You know what a fugazi is? Mm-hmm. Fugazi. It's a fake. Yeah, fugazi, fugazi. It's a wazi, it's a woozy, it's a f- fairy dust. It doesn't exist. It's never landed. It is no matter. It's not on the elemental chart. It, it's not fucking real. Right? All right. All right. <laughs> Stay with me. Mm-hmm. We don't create shit. We don't build anything. 
No. So if you got a client who bought stock at eight mm-hmm. and it now sits at 16 and he's all fucking happy, he wants to cash in, liquidate, take his fucking money and run home, you don't let him do that. Okay. Because that would make it real. Right. No. What do you do? You get another brilliant idea, mm-hmm. a special idea, mm-hmm. another situation, another stock to reinvest his earnings and then some. And he will every single time because mm-hmm. they're fucking addicted. Mm-hmm. And then you just keep doing this again and again. And again, meanwhile, he thinks he's getting shit rich, which he is on paper. Mm-hmm. But you and me, the brokers, right. we're taking home cold hard cash via commission, motherfucker. Right. <laughs> That's incredible, sir. I'm, can't tell you how excited I am. You should be. There's two keys to success in the broker business. First of all, you gotta stay relaxed. You jerk off? Do I, do I jerk off? Yeah. Yeah, I jerk off, yeah. How many times a week? Like, um, three, three, four, three or four times, maybe. I'm gonna pump those numbers up. Those are rookie numbers in this racket. I, myself, I jerk off at least twice a day. Wow. Once in the morning, right after I work out, and then once right after lunch. Really? Mm-hmm. Okay? I want to. That's not why I do it. Mm-hmm. I do it because I fucking need to. Think about it. You're dealing with numbers all day long. Mm-hmm. Decimal points, high frequencies, bang, bang, bang. <laughs> Fucking digits. <laughs> all very acidic, above the shoulders, mustard shit. Mm-hmm. All right? Mm-hmm. It kind of can wake some people out. Mm-hmm. Right? You got to feed the geese to keep the blood flowing. Mm-hmm. I keep the rhythm below the belt. Done. This is not a tip. This is a prescription. Trust me. Mm-hmm. If you don't, you will fall out of balance, split your differential, and tip the fuck over. Or worse yet, I've seen this happen. Implode. No, I don't want to implode, sir. No. no. No, you don't. I'm in it for the long run, you know? Yeah, implosions are ugly. Yeah. Pop off to the bathroom, work one out anytime you can, and when you get really good at it, you'll fucking be stroking it and you'll be thinking about money. Second key to success in this racket is this little baby right here. It's called cocaine. Right. It will keep you sharp between the ears. It'll also help your fingers dial faster. And guess what? That's good for me. Yes, sir. Revolutions. You follow? Revolutions. Keep the clients on the Ferris wheel. And it goes. The park is open 24 7, 365. Every decade, every goddamn century. That's it. Name of the game. How kitty? Mmm. Thank you. Mmm. Mmm. comes to town, going down Broadway, is a one-way street, whichever way I go. If you pay close attention, you realize that Hannah summarizes the mentality that's fucked over this country time and time again, and we know this. We know that an unreasonable percentage of the audience, mostly male, but some women too, Mm -hmm. will see The Wolf of Wall Street and Jordan Belfort as aspirational, and yet we're in hysterics in the theater 
which is why it's a true black comedy. Sure. We understand that this is fucked up, but that doesn't mean it's not funny because it usually is. It borders on absurdist, except... No, it is. it doesn't border. It is absurdist. Well, it's absurdist, except also very real and grounded and based in reality. Yeah, but that's what's interesting. Yeah. Is that these weren't people living real lives, but they were real. Right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Supposedly, the real Mark Hanna stated he bought 25% of Jordan Belfort's business and worked with him for two more years, although this is not depicted in the film. I would imagine that it just sort of streamlines the story to kind of move on from things pretty quick. Sure. Didn't want to have to pay McConaughey for any more days. Just as Jordan is set to begin as a real broker, he loses his job following Black Monday, the largest one-day stock market drop in history. This occurred on... Monday, October 19th, 1987. Now, in the film, they say that this was Jordan's first day. I don't know if that's true or not, or if that's made to be for a cinematic reason. I Mm -hmm. I don't know. Who cares? But essentially, everything collapsed, and there was real concern at the time. I'm sure most of our listeners are too young to remember this, but there was concern that we were headed into a Great Depression-type situation, which ultimately didn't happen i guess but would have been a pretty big bummer i'd say (laughs) that would have sucked summing it up yeah it would have been a bummer so yes jordan's first wife Teresa, is played by Kristen miliotti who i definitely like although i was looking at her imdb and i was trying to figure out did i really know who she was before the wolf of wall street because it definitely seemed like i did and yet i was looking at it and trying to figure out well, what would it have been from? And the only thing I could think of was she guest starred in one episode of 30 Rock, which perhaps is my favorite episode of 30 Rock. I think it's hilarious. I had seen her in Mike Birbiglio's movie, Sleepwalk With Me. She was like his sister. Okay. Yeah, there you go. Well, that sums up the difference between us. (laughs) (laughs) 30 Rock, Mike Birbiglio. Yeah. There you go. Not knowing where to turn... Jordan finds a job at a boiler room brokerage firm on Long Island that specializes in penny stocks. In business, the term boiler room refers to an outbound call center selling questionable investments by telephone. It usually refers to a room where salespeople work using unfair, dishonest sales tactics, sometimes selling penny stocks or private placements or committing outright stock fraud. A common boiler room tactic is the use of falsified and bolstered information in combination with verified company-released information. The term is pejorative. It is often used to imply high-pressure sales tactics and sometimes poor working conditions. This is the shit that I watch, and I'm like, everything is a racket and everyone is a mark. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. That's the world, people. Penny stocks are common shares of small public companies that trade for less than $1 per share. We meet Spike Jones as Dwayne, who doesn't even know the name of the company that he's <laughs> using as a reference point. How does this even exist? Well, before the internet... Uh-huh. There was a lot of shit going on. Yeah, a lot of crazy shit. I think now we have get-rich-quick schemes, which we'll talk about later, but... This was the equivalent of a lot of shit that exists today, but it was just done differently. Uh Undereducated people, poorly educated people who want to get rich, who hate their lives, Mm -hmm. fall for this shit. 
And then there's scumbags who are willing to take them for everything they can. But yeah, the whole thing with Aerotine, Aerodyne <laughs> is hilarious yeah. because that pause when he's telling Jordan about it, to me, that indicates that he's been calling it Aerodyne maybe for multiple days. Yeah. And he's now just realizing it's called Aerotine. And he's probably sold the stock to people well, over the Well, that's phone. the thing. The insignificance of getting that wrong. It's like, who gives a shit? Eventually, they cut to that yeah. insert shot of what it is. It's like a garage. Right. <laughs> so this place is hilarious. It's in a strip mall. There's no computers. There's no Quotrons that go across the top of the room like a real Wall Street place. With something like this, we pr- probably could have gone public with the pod. 37 cents a share. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. 37th <laughs> of one cent per <laughs> yeah. share. Okay, there you go. I do enjoy that there's a bathroom that opens right up into the office. Yeah. Just the door, <laughs> the toilet flushing. <laughs> yeah, this place is a dump. Great little uncredited performance from Spike Jones Definitely. showing up with the mustache yeah. and just a dirt bag. <laughs> hey, uh, I'm, I'm looking for, for an investor center. That's how you want to invest? No, Investor Center. I'm looking for Investor Center. Yeah, yeah, that's us. Hey. Oh, this is it. This is it. Oh. I'm Dwayne. You're Dwayne? Yeah. Hi, Dwayne. We spoke on the phone. I'm, I'm Jordan Belfort. We're, I'm the broker from Rothschild from New York. Yes, yeah. Have a seat. How are you? Remember, we had a conversation. We spoke on the phone earlier, right? Two hours ago. Right. Yeah. Of course, you never anyway, heard of them. They're up and comers. That's what that means. Three cents a share. No that's three dollars. You cheap fuck. So, uh, where, uh, where are your Quotrons here? Quotrons? Yeah, computers. No, no, we don't even need computers here. We just trade right up the pink sheets here. Pink the, sheets? Uh, yeah, they're penny stocks. You know, uh, companies that can't get listed on NASDAQ, they don't have enough capital, their shares trade here. Penny stocks? Yeah. This one, uh, Aerotine, is a really interesting, or, uh, Aerotine. Aerotine, yeah. Aero, Aerotine. Aerotine, oh, yeah. Very hot stock right now. Yeah. Yeah, they're just a couple of brothers that are making radar detectors out of their garage. They're out of Dubuque. Maybe it's microwaves. I'm not sure, but you call the company the main line. Their mom, Dorothy, answers, and she is so sweet. The company. I actually don't know what else to do. I don't know anything else about them other than that. <laughs> Six cents a share? Oh, come on. Who buys this crap? Well, I mean, honestly, mostly schmucks. Postmen, there's always postmen. Right. Uh, plumbers, um, they see our ads in the back of uh, Hustler and Popular Mechanics, and our, our ads actually say they can get rich quick. <laughs> Hustler? Yeah. Uh-huh. You know the girly magazine? Yeah, yeah. Nudie mag. A lot. Yeah. We're helping them finance uh, houses. We're helping them buy their wife a diamond ring, a boat, maybe. Is this, is this, uh, is this stuff regulated, or are you guys, what are you doing here? Uh, sort of. Sort of? Jesus Christ, the spread on these is huge. Yeah, and that's the point. That's What's your name again? My Jordan Belfort. Jordan, what do you get on a blue chip stock? I make 1%. I did make 1%. Pink sheets, it's 50. It's 50%? 50% commission? Yep. For what? It's our markup for our services. So if I, if I, if I sell a stock at $10,000, my commission is 5000 bucks. If you sell $10,000 worth of this stock, I will personally give you a blowjob for free. <laughs> and I hope it happens. <laughs> <laughs> 
It doesn't take long, though, for Jordan to become king of shit island. He makes a small fortune thanks to his aggressive pitching style and the high commissions available on penny stocks. So the blue chip stocks, the real stocks, they get 1%. If you're selling Disney, AT&T, that kind of shit in a real firm, you're only getting a 1% commission. But if you can unload this horse shit at a much smaller scale, obviously, Mm -hmm. you get 50% commissions. So it's almost as if a light bulb goes on in his head, which is, what if I could sell this bullshit at the rate that we sell the good stocks? Right. So if I sell 5,000 shares of a good stock and I get 1% of that, what if I sell 5,000 shares of this bullshit and I get 50% of that? And that's really the one thing that we know for sure about Jordan Belfort is that he is a natural-born salesman he uses this skill for evil of course essentially yeah. but it does seem as if in this particular field as shady as it may be he does truly excel at it definitely he's charismatic he can kind of inspire people whether that's people that work for him but even the people that he's selling to on the he, other end of the phone right. yeah he gets them excited yes. for something that is not real but right. they don't know that his success and the accompanying lifestyle attract attention, and soon Jordan befriends his neighbor, Donny Azoff, played by Jonah Hill. One of the more interesting characters to ever exist in any movie. Who immediately quits his job (laughs) to work for Jordan. I was always taken aback, and you and I have discussed it, that he's just like, I will quit my job right now if you show me your pay stub. Quit your job based off what? Come work for me? Why do I want to hire you, weirdo loser? the movie doesn't do a great job of explaining is why Jordan would want Donnie to work for him. Why Donnie becomes so essential. What Donnie does well. The movie does essentially portray him as a caricature of a human. Right. With the giant teeth and the whole thing that's going on. And he's just ridiculous all the time. He doesn't really have many human qualities. Whereas Jordan does at different times and he has natural struggles even though he's mostly a bad dude and does bad things i would say donnie never really seems like a normal human in any way (laughs) yeah we're never really given too big of a window into his life but you'd have to imagine that there would be a little bit more there than just the fact that he makes jordan laugh and he is such a weirdo yeah i do think at a certain point it's the enabling it's the hey I'm into all this fucked up shit, and I want to push everything as far as I can, and this dude is here for it, too. Well, I think in real life, he had to have just been more intelligent than the other people. He had to bring something to the table. I would think, yeah, right. We just aren't privy to for this. Because in the the real-life version of this story, they were not 100% corrupt all the time. Right. They had to do real shit to exist. To keep it as like a semi-legitimate business. Yeah, at first, and then it became less and less legitimate and all the shady shit in the background, but yeah. So I'm sure that the real-life version of Donnie brought a little bit of something to the table, but they never really convey that in the film. Right. In January 2014, Jonah Hill revealed in an interview with Howard Stern that he made only $60,000 on the film, Wow, which was the lowest possible SAG-AFTRA rate for his amount of work because he wanted to work with Scorsese so much. It does seem sort of crazy in retrospect, though, that the budget's $100 million and they could only spare 60 k for Jonah <laughs> Yeah, Hill. that makes it seem like they didn't want him in the movie. 
The actors snorted crushed B vitamins for scenes that involve cocaine, and Jonah Hill also claimed that he eventually became sick with bronchitis after so much inhaling and had to be hospitalized. Wow. We all know Jonah Hill from the comedy world. That's how he was introduced into our lives in the years since, I would say, this is the end. I don't Mm -hmm. know. He's made a concerted effort to not be a comedy guy. Yeah, He's true. made a real strong push at being serious, which is fine, but there is always a part of me that gets annoyed with him for how self-serious he is and how serious he takes himself. Agree. And I'm not a huge fan of all of his choices, although I will say that in the film Don't Look Up, which also has DiCaprio in it, Jonah Hill probably was the funniest part of it. Okay. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know that I love super self-serious artist Jonah Hill because it it gives me Jim Carrey vibes, and we're going down that weird road. Yeah, I feel weird about people kind of turning their backs on what made them successful, but on the other hand, there is not really a market for comedy now, so... No, I get it. There yeah. really wouldn't be a world, but he doesn't really even do very much, it seems True. like. True. He's barely ever in anything. Although, he, I guess he directs some stuff, and he's going to have another movie, but yeah. we'll talk about that more later. This is all a whirlwind. Everything's <laughs> happening so fast. All of a sudden, there's a scene with Jordan and Donnie. They're sitting at a bar, and we're finding out that Donnie is married <laughs> to his cousin. This is a hilarious scene. And he's also talking about what he would do to a child that which is, they would have if it was born with yeah. disabilities, which I think is also one of those moments, and there's a few of them, where they, they sort of start to go right. off the rails a little bit with the improv. They're seeing how far they can push it. It does seem like this one could have been like trimmed down. The stuff with him marrying his cousin is what makes it funny, and then it kind of goes a little off the rails. Yeah, this is one thing that I did have to look up to yeah. see if it was real, because it, it was so funny, and it is real, <laughs> which is a whole other conversation that I know. we were trying to have before we started recording. I was but you don't even you, know where to go with it. This was only 35, 40 years ago that they would have gotten married. How can that this be? This is real. I know. What did their families think? It would be tough. To me, that's like not that far removed from marrying your sibling. I know it's not on that level, but I'm it's just close, saying it's not yeah. that far away. When I think about the cousins I grew up with. Yeah, he says he grew up with her, and then he used the cousin thing as as like an in with her. <laughs> if anyone's going to fuck my cousin, it's going to be me. I will say. Out of respect. <laughs> DiCaprio is always great, but there's certain scenes where I love the way that he just approaches it, and this is one of them, how he brings up the conversation. Yeah. I don't know. I heard some shit. <laughs> nah, fuck it. I don't like, believe it. Yeah. <laughs> they actually have a good chemistry together Definitely. with DiCaprio sort of being the straight man to the over-the-top antics from Hill. Right. And then this all spills into Donnie wanting to smoke crack. Yeah. And I do think that that kind of... <laughs> Like, yeah, sets, as if that's normal. Sets, yeah. Well, I think this does set the basis for how this friendship is going to work, though. Donnie is just willing to try and do fucked up shit all the time. Yeah. And that is right up Jordan's alley. Yeah, let's keep pushing this thing. He's the guy that he's been looking for his whole life to push right. him into this darkness. Yeah. And for those of you who are thinking, man, so many clips have been played. How could you not play <laughs> the Mary the Cousin clip? Just it's, it's at the end of the episode. But it is that thing because I'm constantly, when viewing this movie, thinking to myself, how can 
Jordan continue to be friends with Donnie. He seems like a loose cannon, a wild card. He can't be trusted. Yeah, he fucks things up all the time. But he's funny. Yeah. <laughs> and he does fucked up shit. Exactly. So therefore, he has to be my right hand man. Yeah, that's definitely what they're portraying in the movie. I guess my whole point is yeah. that he was clearly bringing something business-wise to right. the table, including his relationship with Steve Madden. Which sure, I which think- was a bit, is it seems like a big score for them, the big dirty. I, yeah, I, I think that you can't underestimate how, in real life, the timeline is probably different than the movie. So right. some of the stuff that seems like it comes later was probably already discussed. You know, different shit was moved around. So uh-huh. I'm sure there was legitimate reasons to think that this guy was worth making your right-hand man. And who knows? Maybe the real guy wasn't as much of a loose cannon. I don't know. Sure, sure. They gave Jonah Hill free reign to start improv Right. And it got all insane. And they're like, all right, <laughs> put these big teeth on and yeah, we'll see Swallow what happens. Swallow a goldfish. Yeah, that's another thing we're not really going to get into. Sure. They got in trouble with... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The animals may have not have been treated great. There's like a chimp and a snake and the fish, which apparently was in Jonah Hill's mouth. All right. Well, we're sad to hear it. Jordan and Donnie recruit several of Jordan's friends and acquaintances, mostly pot dealers, essentially an idiot all-star team, (laughs) whom Jordan trains in the art of the hard sell. Jordan's tactics and salesmanship largely contribute to the success of his pump-and-dump scheme, which involves inflating the price of a stock by issuing misleading positive statements in order to sell it at an artificially augmented price. When the scheme's perpetrators sell their overvalued securities, the price drops immensely, and those who are conned into buying at the inflated price are left with a stock that is suddenly worth much less than what they paid. To cloak this... Jordan gives the firm the respectable-sounding name Stratton Oakmont in 1989. And he also does this so that they can start to target people with real money, mm-hmm. who he describes as whales. Yes, because there is, and it gets called out in this news article, for at least some small segment of the movie, there's kind of this idea that it becomes, we're doing this to rich people, so who cares? Yeah, eventually that's what they move into. Uh-huh. What person with a college education would trust this bunch of jerk-offs? Oh, tell me call them back. I got five fucking grand on the phone right now. Hey! But what if they didn't sound like a bunch of jerk-offs? What if I could teach them how to sell to people with money? Real money. So I decided to reinvent the company. Gentlemen, welcome to Stratton Oakmont. You schnooks will now be targeting the wealthiest 1% of Americans. Talking about whales here. Moby fucking dicks. And with this script, which is now your new harpoon, I'm gonna teach each and every one of you to be Captain fucking Ahab. Get it? Huh? Captain who? Captain Ahab. From the fucking... From the book, motherfucker. From the book. Turn your fucking brain on. Fuck you. Listen to me. We're a new company with a new name. A company that our clients can believe in. A company that our clients can trust. A firm whose roots are so deeply embedded into Wall Street that our very founders sailed over on the Mayflower and chiseled the name Stratton Oakmont right into plain fucking rock. You got it? (laughs) The company expands rapidly, moving from an old auto garage into a real office 
the number of employees keeps growing, the money keeps rolling in. <laughs> I like that when they do their little calls to these people, everyone is a senior vice president. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and once they are in that real office and they have both men and women working for them, and it seems like they're in a more corporate setting, this it is the first become... time we get a taste of the real debauchery and that's mm-hmm. even what jordan refers to it as that's right it's time for this week's act of debauchery it's a badge of honor and he gives that sales assistant ten thousand dollars to shave her head and then a marching band in their underwear comes in and then strippers come in i get that this is part of the whole thing but there are certain things that they do that's just i'm just like why was this worth anyone's time or money what is marching band and underwear doing for anyone know. I don't even know if it's worth $10,000 to see this woman shave her head. I don't think so. Yeah. I would be like, don't do it. But any time in the film where that distorted old blues music comes in, and Mm -hmm. there's a lot of songs on the soundtrack. Howlin' Wolf. Yeah, there's Howlin' Wolf, and there's some other people, too, Uh at different times. That's almost your indication to know that it's fucked up. And there's, if you pay attention to this first act of debauchery here in the office and there's these naked women, and all of a sudden they're fighting over the women, and the woman who shaved her head looks kind of like she regrets it, and if you pay attention to Jordan's face, there's yeah. almost like a a discontented look. I would say that if you pay close attention, there's a warped, demonic quality to their debauchery. It's mm-hmm. kind of scary and unpleasant. Yeah. On the surface, you're thinking of... boobs, right. great, drugs, great. This is fun, a party. But if you actually like really look at their faces, it's not fun. No. It always feels like something worse is going to happen than actually does. And then sometimes it does. Yeah, that's but true. after the fact. Right. And then they brush it aside very quickly. Yeah. I do think a big part of the movie is this insane amount of money, but is anyone actually happy? It never really seems like it. Maybe, in, maybe in pockets of time. But now that they've announced their presence on Wall Street, they're drawing attention to themselves. Specifically, Special Agent Patrick Denham, played by Kyle Chandler. He's taken notice. After an expose in Forbes magazine, which Jordan refers to as a hatchet job, where he is dubbed the Wolf of Wall Street. Never fails to be entertaining like these people talking about themselves, thinking that some puff piece is going to come out about them. Like every time it's not. Hundreds of ambitious young financiers flock to Stratton Oakmont. So the article is a magnet. Mm -hmm. No publicity is bad publicity. I've heard that in real life he dubbed himself the Wolf of Wall Street, but who knows. Mm -hmm. It does seem like he took to that name a little too easily. Yeah, yeah. Essentially, Stratton Oakmont has tapped into the nation's twisted id. They're getting rich quickly and doing whatever they want. How could that not seem appealing? We already know the mindset of most of Wall Street. Jordan and Stratton Oakmont just do away with the formalities and get right down to it. Now Jordan's a superstar, and Forbes essentially confirmed it, whether that was their intention or not. The movie becomes very hard to keep up with. The company's doubling in size and then doubling again. Cocaine nonstop. I imagine this is a reflection of life, though, too. When things are happening like this, and it's like lightning in a bottle, and everything's like moving so quick. That's probably... Full-on fucking oh, yeah. in the office. <laughs> There's that funny and tragic little interlude, the sad yeah. tale of Ben and Pam, who 
Pam is this uh-huh. woman that blows Ben in the elevator at their new office building and then also fucks Donnie and Jordan at the same time. And then Ben marries her, even though she blew everyone in the office. And then Jordan, as he's narrating, says, and then he got depressed a couple years later and killed himself. They cut to a quick picture of a blood-filled bathtub as if he slit his wrists. And then Jordan just says, anyway, and just moves back into the story. Well, that is interesting, the women in the office, because there's obviously like prostitutes and stuff being marched in here all the time. But then there are women that work there some seemingly active participants in this yeah they seem pretty animalistic as well they have the same mentality and i guess it's the environment breeds this type of behavior do you think there was an hr staff i'm gonna say probably not (laughs) i can't imagine there was lawyers on staff right well there was but not for that (laughs) not not in the office it was people like john favreau's character right right yeah true that's right for the the company is in, as far as the illegal activity that they're doing, not for interpersonal right. yeah, relationships. Yeah, yeah. Jordan's father is known as Mad Max, played by Rob Reiner. He is brought in to try to control the company a little bit, although it doesn't really seem like it does anything other than introduces a funny character to the movie. It's not as if he has any control or say over anything, but he's there and no one really wants to deal with him. One of the more famous scenes of the film, and it's something that's always bugged me a little bit, and I I guess that most people probably have varying takes on it, and I was discussing this a little bit with you, and we touched Uh on it a little bit with the cousin-fucking thing and the potential for a child born with disabilities and what they would do with it and all that stuff, but the improv occasionally gets on my nerves, even if it's funny. Even if I can laugh at it, mm-hmm. there's still a part of me that's thinking this doesn't fit, in my opinion. It feels like it's from a different movie, and it doesn't yeah. seem believable anymore. Yeah, there are times where some of the interactions feel inauthentic. And the big one is the scene where Jordan, Donnie, and a couple of the other guys, Rugrat with his fake hair mm-hmm. and the whole deal, they're discussing the dwarf tossing situation and hiring out these guys. And they're all talking in a way that is dehumanizing, so it portrays these guys as terrible. Like, they sure. don't even understand yes. that little people are people, too. They're they actually, acting as if they're not human. They seem worse to me in this scene than in most, which is saying something. But they also seem dumber right. than you could ever believe. Absolutely. They would be incapable of operating this company if they were this stupid. Totally. And it's it's just not... You can't look them in the eyes, is something they say. I know, it's Like, stupid. really? And it's funny... But it feels like it's from a different movie. Yeah, agreed. And I get that compared to Goodfellas or Casino or The Departed or any number of Scorsese's other films, The Wolf of Wall Street is less serious and it is a comedy. But come on. I know. That's a bridge too far for me. Yeah, not for me either. Jordan continues his rise to immense success and slides into a decadent lifestyle of absolutely non-stop prostitutes and drugs i just don't understand how one lives this way yeah i could never do it there's a million reasons why i would never be this guy i do think i have too much of a conscience but aside from that i could never keep up with this life in any way it shape, seems or form. so exhausting i don't know how you maintain any i feel like the drugs would take such a toll i don't know how these people do this and have such a tolerance for it 
at a fateful party in the Hamptons, all kinds of things happen that shape the future of Jordan's life and also the company. First of all, we learn about Ludes, which is a hypnotic sedative that were discontinued in the 80s due to rampant abuse and addictiveness, so there is a finite quality. Mm -hmm. These guys in this film are coming in at the tail end, really. There's only so many left in the world. There's a struggle to find them. Yeah, It's a big deal when they get a nice cachet, especially of this very specific kind later in the film. But that's something they love to pop right, like crazy. Donnie went to high school with Steve Madden. Steve Madden, as is explained in the film, was a huge deal when it came to women's shoes in the 90s. I remember those commercials that they play. Yeah, I don't. In the movie with the big heads and the eyes and the whole thing. I remember that. I remember those shoes. I think they still exist, but it's not really as big of a deal now as they were at the time. The idea is that Steve Madden as a company is about to go public and Stratton Oakmont is looking for a company to do that with because that's how you become a big player is that if you have an IPO, which is the initial public offering, you get it on the ground floor of a new company that's offering their stocks for the first time, the whole thing. That's what they want, and it just so happens they have an in with this hot new product going on. Who knows what the real story was in real life, but that's how it is in the film. Right. But then... Chibi, 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 you gotta come check this fucking chick out. Look at this. I would fuck that girl if she was my sister. I would let that girl give me fucking AIDS. Can you see the wolf we handle this? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Christy! Jordan, this is my friend Naomi. Hi. Naomi. Nice to meet you. Naomi, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. We've got an awesome place here. I don't think I've ever been in a house this big before. Oh, really? Yeah. It's a beautiful beach out there. Thank you Blair, Hollingsworth. Hi, Blair. Nice to meet you. Name's Blair, right? Yeah. You like to jet ski? I've never done it before. You've never jet skied in your life? No, I've never jet skied. Never been on a jet ski? No, I haven't. How many times are you going to ask her? She's never been on a jet ski. I don't know. I might ask her a couple more times. Okay. I might want to take a jet ski, you know? <laughs> sure. Hi, I'm Hildy. Nice to meet Hi. you. Hi. Jordan Teresa needs your help? Yeah, I'll be on a couple minutes. Just tell her I'll be on a couple minutes. Why don't you tell your wife that? I might do that, but I'm having a conversation. Well, you know what? I think, no, it's, it's, I think we should, I think we should get going. Wait, wait. Where are you guys going? We gotta go. We got two other parties. We're well, supposed no, to get we can to. Stay no, no, no. For a drink. Yeah, stay for a drink. No, no, man, we, got two other we meet Naomi Lapaglia, played by Margot Robbie, the and Duchess of Bay Ridge. That's right. <laughs> and it, it's, of course, one of the alone by heart moments blasting. Except for everyone yeah, in the world. Yeah, in the world. Mm hmm. Because we were all being introduced for the first time. And as Jordan is meeting her and she's there at this party with some other fucking douche, Blair. You can give an LOL to Blair, but at the same time, oh, yeah. you know it's like a ouch for Teresa. Yeah. Oof. We already know from the beginning Even... of the film that he's married to her later, but Teresa's at this party. I know. It's tough. But even Blair, I'm a little bit like, that's that sucks, man. You just walk in. Yeah, but he seems like a dork. Totally. She just upgraded to the next bigger rich guy. True. I'm sure yeah. Blair was rich, but then she met a real rich guy. Right. And, you know, you know how it is. <laughs> yeah. Don't bring her to a richer guy's house. Yeah, let's be clear. Come on. 
Naomi's a victim in many ways in this film, especially with the domestic abuse and shit like that. But sure, she's no yeah. angel. No, we, no. She's no babe in the woods. She's she knows got what her she's own doing. mission. Yeah. <laughs> Donnie openly masturbating at the party in Insane. front of her. <laughs> <laughs> I, this may have been the most shocked that I was <laughs> when we were watching this in the theater. I'm like, holy shit, I cannot believe this is what's happening. Jonah Hill wore a prosthetic penis while masturbating at the party. The surprised reactions from the actors and extras were genuine. <laughs> Probably something they wouldn't even do now. No. You couldn't even pretend to spring that on people. <laughs> Just gets pepper sprayed. This whole sequence is very hilarious, very relatable. <laughs> relatable. Sea otter. Well, <laughs> to the point. <laughs> the reaction of seeing a hot woman. <laughs> Just openly <laughs> There's been some wild times. Absolutely. We've all grown up. Totally. No, just their reactions aside from yes. Donnie, which is, of course, inappropriate. Stop. They're all inappropriate, right. but a few of them are more excusable where they're yeah. just like, JB, JB, you got to look at this fucking chick, man. <laughs> and then the unrelatable part is that they actually have a friend in their group who will go down and talk to her yeah. and just make a move. Because she's unlike anyone anyone's ever seen in their real life. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> Olivia Wilde auditioned for the part. Okay. She was deemed too old to play DiCaprio's oh. wife, despite being 10 years younger than him. Rough. That is a rough scene. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> Hollywood. I know. It is insane. Blake Lively, Rosie Huntington-Whiteley, okay. Teresa Palmer, wow, and Amber Heard were also in the mix. But- Way more awesome that it's someone that most of the world had not seen before. Absolutely. She'd been on a TV show called Pan Am. She was an actress in Australia. and Some people knew her, but sure, most sure. of the Come world on. did not know who she was. Explodes onto the scene. <laughs> <laughs> we were like passing out wow. seats. Yeah. Like, who the fuck is this? <laughs> but that's what's cool about the movie sometimes is they can catch you off guard and it so rarely happens this day and I age know. because everyone knows everything and there's not really a lot of surprises. But you have a $100 million film directed by Martin Scorsese starring one of the last movie stars on Earth. And this is a pretty sizable part given to a relative unknown who becomes a star overnight Absolutely. immediately yeah. and has gone on to a career. So it doesn't take much time for them to actually hang out. And she knows the score oh, yeah. because he's like, well, what? Married guys can't have friends. And she's like, we're not going to be friends. Oh, yeah. And watching Jordan be nervous and unsure of himself with right. her is oddly charming, even though we know he's an adulterous shithead. I know. Because but he's so cool all the time. Absolutely. And it's no shortage of beautiful women that have been around him at any given time. And he's just like, who gives a shit? <laughs> Obviously, there's something special about this one. Naomi ends up having to take control of the situation. She, they're in her apartment. She's like light a fire and he's like throwing things into the fireplace. He doesn't know what the fuck he's doing. Then all of a sudden, ba-boom. Yes. <laughs> you actually fell out of your chair, if I, I remember I, I believe so. In the theater. Yeah. I don't think I've ever quite recovered from that day. Originally, Scorsese offered Margot Robbie to appear wearing a bathrobe during the seduction scene between her and DiCaprio, Robbie refused and insisted on doing the scene fully nude, her first in her career. According to Robbie, quote, the whole point of Naomi is that her body is her only form of currency in this world. She has to be naked. 
She's laying her cards on the table. Robbie said she had three shots of tequila in succession before shooting the scene to relax. After shooting was complete, Robbie initially fibbed to her family and friends about actually doing the nude scene in order to delay any personal repercussions, claiming CGI was used to superimpose her head on a body double. She eventually changed her mind and confessed when the film was released. Well, I have to say, for one, I appreciate her insightfulness when approaching this character, and I think she should be applauded for the courage (laughs) to really take on a role like this and be brave enough to tell the story the way it needed to be told. We're definitely flirting with some more negative reviews. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I think that she saw an opportunity here, and you can say whatever you want about nudity in film. Uh Uh-huh sexism or whatever but she went for it she reached out and she went for it because she also revealed that she accidentally slapped DiCaprio more violently than she intended to while auditioning getting a little lost in the moment slapping his face yelling fuck you there was was a stunned silence on set and then all of them burst out laughing but she feared that DiCaprio would sue her for it she apologized but he was impressed with her courage and asked her to hit him again (laughs) me Venice. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe revealing a little bit more. (laughs) But I'm saying that's somebody seeing an opportunity in front of them. It seems like a long shot because despite what you think about those other women I listed, they were all more well-known. And they went with an unknown instead, so she took her chance and really pushed it to the limits. And by the way, she is great in this movie, too. Yeah. She is, and I think that she has a lot of talent, and it probably was just a matter of time sure. before she became a star, but this was the big moment. Jordan, in his narration, tells us that her pussy was like heroin. Mm-hmm. I think you can understand. <laughs> What's that? I think you can understand. <laughs> Jordan fully commits to an affair with Naomi, and when Teresa inevitably finds out, he divorces her and marries Naomi in 1991. At this point both the SEC and the FBI begin truly investigating Stratton Oakmont. So there's a couple of things here. When Teresa finds out about the affair, when he gets out of the limo with Naomi, it's confirmed that Jordan and Teresa are living in Trump Tower. This is a tough moment, though. For what? Kristen Milioti fans? Yeah. Although I do feel like she probably got out at the right moment. Especially um, considering he punches Naomi in the stomach later. Definitely. I and know he's, he's just sh- not a good guy. Yeah, yeah. I know he's a shit, and the damage had already been done here, probably a million times over, but it sort of marks the true death of whatever normalcy was in him to start off the movie. This is the complete cutting off of that. I guess, but I think it was probably before this. Yeah. It was just a matter of time. That's what these guys sure. do. When yeah. they get more money, they're going to go for a younger, hotter wife. They're shitheads. Mm-hmm. They don't have any morality. The bachelor party flight. This is all like a this quick little nuts. aside, but <laughs> yeah. he spends $2 million on a bachelor party weekend in Vegas. The plane ride is insane. I didn't Everyone's know, I, naked and fucking and, and spanking I, and <laughs> doing coke out of butts. And- I don't know how much of this was... <laughs> based in reality but this looks like not a private jet this looks like a commercial (laughs) flight well i think they'd have to rent out the whole plane i don't think you could just do that and it wouldn't become like a news story (laughs) no i know i didn't think that there were other passengers but i I, I mean (laughs) just like an elderly couple like what the i'm just riding on board like with your headphones (laughs) 
trying to watch a movie on my iPhone. And so, as expected, Jordan Belfort's personal life was not exempt from his limitless greed and downright psychopathic pursuit of success, wealth, and power. Mm -hmm. If anything, as I said, Teresa's probably lucky to get out now. The scary part of movies like The Wolf of Wall Street, ones that are mostly true and also depressing and horrifying, isn't that it's glorifying people like Belfort and his actions. It's that the film, as a reflection of society, presents some painful and hard truths. There are a lot of unhappy people in America, men, women, people of all ages, disenfranchised and dissatisfied. They want more. Watching Belfort and Stratton Oakmont seemingly hack the system is, to these people, its own version of the American dream. Well, I think that people watch this and then people react to it and people think, oh, the reason people are responding to this in a positive way is because they're enjoying all these horrible things that people are doing. I think it's more like people like the anti-establishment piece of it and these guys being like, not necessarily that everybody wants to aspire to be this and do these horrible things, but there's something, oh, wow, that's great. They're not held down by the bars of life that are holding us all down. Sure, yeah. The debauchery is fun. Drugs and sex and partying are so much better than a boring nine-to-five life that isn't going anywhere special. And then you have Naomi, who is a literal trophy, Mm -hmm. the most beautiful prize imaginable. I also thought it was interesting that Jordan Belfort's inspiration in real life was Gordon Gecko. Greed is good and that whole thing from Wall Street, a film that seems tame and quaint by comparison. And for Leonardo DiCaprio, he saw the insane excess of Caligula as his cinematic comp. The real world and movies. Mm -hmm. Movies and the real world intertwined as always. And this is something we'll come back to at the end. Because, of course, this movie is highly controversial in a lot of ways. It does make for a unique blend, though. The Gordon Gecko Caligula Yeah, because I don't think that that's ever the point of Wall Street. We don't ever really even know that much about Gordon Gecko's personal life in that film. Right. Because the main character is Charlie Sheen. It's a different guy. Mm-hmm. So this is, yeah, an interesting cocktail. But I think the pain comes from just how American this story, The Wolf of Wall Street, truly is. And that's undeniable. Whether you're talking about NFTs, crypto, endless sports gambling, whatever, everything feels like a get-rich-quick-and-easy scheme, whether it is or not. But that's how everything feels now. Sometimes I think we're in a constant state of denial about how many people there are that wish they could be Jordan Belfort and how those people will always exist no matter what, no matter if this film exists or not. Because people immediately think, okay, think of fucking Columbine or something. People blame video games or music or movies. But the truth is one of the kids was definitely a psychopath and that – Chances are murders were going to happen either then or later or whatever. Of course, it's horrific that it happened in a school. But oh, yeah. in other words, the people are the people. And I think that there are a million people that want to be Jordan Belfort, whether or not they know who Jordan Belfort is. You know what I'm saying? Right. So yes, of course, you can look at it like the Wolf of Wall Street gives them an inspiration or a blueprint or something to that effect. But those people were those people anyway. And so they would find it somewhere else, the inspiration. So then relying on the art to tell people how to live and what's right and wrong, then we're we're already lost because the art is just a reflection of society, which we'll get into more later. I know. But also 
this movie I feel like is telling people that you're not going to be this guy. You're one of the other people that he's getting money off of. <laughs> That's who you're going to be in this story. Yeah, the hope is that people would be enraged or incensed right. by things like this. But in truth, we've learned time and time again that people are not. People will cheer on the very people who make money off of their backs, whether it's Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk or, or whoever. Mm-hmm. People, by and large will idolize them no matter if they themselves are being victimized in some way, shape, or form or not. You know what I'm saying? I do. Of course, there's always resistance to this, and that's the decent segment, the moral segment, even maybe the majority, but there's still this sizable amount of people that see what they've done and idolize that, even if they themselves can't have it because they think that they should be able to or could be able to in some hypothetical... I don't know. That's why... There's a large percentage of the country that doesn't like the idea of this billionaire class right? and how much power they wield. But then if you go online or you go, there's people simping for them everywhere and acting as if it's the American dream to become these people. But the truth is that when you look in the wake of any billionaire, they've made it off the backs of a bunch yeah. of other people and paid terrible wages and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But people don't care about that. Right. Even though they should. And that's the same thing when it comes to a Jordan Belfort, who was never a billionaire, but he was a criminal. But people were like, that's awesome. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, you were right to say that, yeah, people do like the rebellious, anti-establishment, bucking the system kind of thing, which would be cool if there wasn't any victims. Right. But that's sort of what this movie gets into trouble yeah. for sometimes, is they don't really ever portray any it's, victims. It's, and it's sort of like the same idea of, a rock star, living that rock star lifestyle and what people find enticing about that. Although the reality is probably a lot darker than in most instances. Well, the reality is always a lot darker. Yeah. So this is the peak. We have the wedding in the Bahamas. There's a cameo by Sharon Jones performing Goldfinger, the title theme from the James Bond film Goldfinger at the wedding. And this is a reference to Jordan Belfort's actual wedding where nobody does it better. The theme song from another Bond film, The Spy Who Loved Me, was performed. So they sort of changed it up a little bit. Hmm. He buys Naomi a yacht, names it after her, although it seems to be more his yacht. That's the wedding present. It's a pretty cool yacht. Aunt Emma shows up. Crucial character. Who gets involved later. Naomi's aunt from England, who seems like a classy lady. Absolutely. I love listening to her talk. You're a big AbFab fan. Totally. They get the mansion in Long Island, and it's a dream. He even says, this is heaven, right before we get the 18 months later thing. And then it's 18 months later, and it seems like we're <laughs> no. reaching the trip back down the mountain. Yeah, no longer heaven. Heaven is starting to crumble down around him. They fight every morning, and the honeymoon is truly over. There's a little moment with Venice, who seems to be a dominatrix. Yes. So, obviously, either Jordan's had these tastes secretly, or he's become desensitized to the normal stuff, and he's chasing something now. But either his... way, he's just he's cheating on the well, most beautiful the woman you could imagine. Right. During the bachelor party montage, it's talked about let me have one last hurrah as a single man it's like okay yeah i understand that you weren't married well that's that's understandable (laughs) (laughs) come on yeah yeah and the thing is i don't want to play armchair 
psychiatrist here or psychologist and really dive into the Naomi character who we don't really know much about, but it seems like she only really gets mad at the reality once the baby's born and she realizes that she's not the focus of the party anymore. She's the mother because she's not an idiot, at least about certain things. She knows that Jordan is fucking other chicks on this bachelor party weekend. She's, not a moron. Sure. How did she get him? Exactly. He fucking cheated on his wife. Yes. But it seems like she only gets mad 18 months later when the baby's born. Right. Not that she has to necessarily be like some kind of world-class mother. She, they have live-in help, it seems like. But you know what I'm saying? She's I transitioning do. to being the mother role at home. And right. Now she's getting annoyed at his lifestyle. Yeah, because he's still out there living it, having fun. Nothing has changed for him, but oh, it's yeah. changed for her. Getting dropped off by helicopters. <laughs> there is a cool little moment here during a heated argument, the first one we see between Jordan and Naomi. Jordan keeps saying who, who, after Naomi mimics him, sarcastically saying, who, who, what are you, a fucking owl? And this is exactly the line from Heat mm. with Al Pacino and Hank Azaria. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that's intentional or if that just happened or what, but it's kind of cool. Yeah. It's a marriage built on money and lust. So, of course, when one of those two things starts to fade, the lust angle, you're only left with the money, which breeds resentment and anger and fighting. Right. Because there was never really love. As he says, her pussy was like heroin. He was addicted to fucking her. Yes. And he was bored with his first wife because... He's an asshole and didn't realize that she was a sweet lady. Absolutely. (laughs) And so now there's really not much left between them. And the sad, tragic thing is that they fucking have another kid, too. I know. Ugh. Well, people get desperate, try to solve problems that way. That's right. That's right. I forgot. (laughs) I forgot, baby. Donnie and I were in, investing in a condominium complex in Venice. That's why That's why all this confusion. Oh, you were investing in Italy. Not Italy, California, oh, baby. Oh, California. Yeah. You're a lying piece of shit. Duchess, baby, Don't come on. Don't you fucking yeah, duchess me. Don't you duchess me. Do you Just really talk. think yeah. that I don't know what you're up to? You're a father now, Jordan? Yeah. You're a father now. I know. And you're still acting yes. like an infant. Fuck! God damn it! Baby, you know, you you got real anger issues. You got so Who is the one who problems. flew in here at three in the morning on that stupid helicopter and woke up Skylar? That was Sky- you. Oh, about Skylar. That. Oh, fucking bullshit. besides swiping my fucking credit card all day, huh? Because I can't keep track of your professions, honey. Because last month you were a wine connoisseur. Now you're an aspiring landscape architect. Let me get that right. No, fuck you! Don't fucking dare throw that fucking water at me. Don't you fucking dare. All right, honey? And we can just, we can, we can talk this out, all right? We just use our words, you know? We communicate, 
Okay? Come on, sweetheart. Talk to me. Talk to me. Stop flexing your muscles, Jordan. You look like a fucking imbecile. Babe, come on. You should feel... You should feel happy you got a husband who's in such great shape like this, huh? Come here. Come on, give me a kiss. You look so beautiful right now. Come on. Kiss you? You look so beautiful kiss when you're you? here. Yeah, give me one. Fuck you! Absolute fucking trash morons. <laughs> That's like the truth of these people. Yeah. Obviously, you're going to have a huge glow up with DiCaprio and Margot Robbie. I'm sure that the real woman was also very attractive, but come on. They seem like movie stars sure. in a movie. Uh-huh. I'm sure the real life version, you'd be rolling your eyes going like these uh, fucking classless ass clowns. <laughs> like, fuck off. I would suspect, yes. Their daughter is named Skylar. And then they make up, kind of. Or they start to. They do this weird game. It seems like the implication is maybe that they play a lot of weird games and head games with each other because they have this big fight. She's throwing water in his face. Yeah. They're, they're literally just waking up screaming fuck you at each other. I know that you could probably relate to this. <laughs> but then instantly they're down in the baby's nursery. Uh-huh. She starts playing this whole fucking game. Yeah. Which... I know she's saying, like, you don't get to touch mommy and the whole thing, but it's a fucking game, obviously. Totally. Why would she be saying it like this? No, I know. Like, Nothing but short skirts. Everything is this mental tug of war now between the two of them. <laughs> mommy doesn't ever want to wear panties again. They're in this ongoing battle with each other now, and that's just it. This is life. <laughs> so she's wearing this, like, mini skirt no underwear spreading her legs making a whole big thing and he's like on his hands and knees i was begging yeah a little surprised that he would react this way though like fall on face down on the floor like why would you jaw dropping well i just mean (laughs) with this life of excess that he lives He's two years in. Well, I guess he probably has some feelings still, and this is just part of their game that they do. Right. I think the idea is that they've done similar things. The Rockos are, like, completely disinterested. (laughs) Apparently, this nursery sequence, according to Robbie, was heavily edited and was, like, very uncomfortable when it was, like, the whole thing. And I'd love to know what the whole thing actually was. (laughs) Yeah. Because it's pretty wild as is. I think so. The security camera and the teddy bear and the security guards are watching her like spread her legs and the whole deal. And it's yeah. fucking wild. <laughs> I would think that that had to be the uncut version of that scene has had to be like pushing it towards NC seventeen. Well, I'm sure you weren't like actually seeing. Anything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's pretty explicit as is. Good morning, Daddy. Where's my kiss? Sweet. Hey, sweetheart. Does Daddy get a kiss from both of his little girls, huh? Oh, no. No, Daddy doesn't even get to touch Mommy for a very, very, very long time. Daddy's really sorry about what he said in the other room. He didn't mean any of it. Daddy shouldn't waste his time. And from now on... It's going to be nothing but short, short skirts around the house. And you know something else, Daddy? Mommy is just so sick and tired of wearing panties. Yeah? Yeah. In fact, 
she's decided to throw them all away. So take a good look, Daddy. You're gonna be seeing an awful lot of this around the house. Yeah. But no touching. Oh, gosh. How? What's wrong, Daddy? Mm, baby. God. <laughs> Look at this shit. Okay. Mommy likes to play games with Daddy. Mommy, have you ever noticed anything odd about Mr. Mr. Fuzzy Bear over there? His eyes seem to be a little bit odd, don't they? Yeah, there's something a little bit different about his eyes. <gasps> yes, I think it's true. Say hi, Mommy. Say hi to Rocco and Rocco. Say hi. Hi, fellas. <laughs> See that, huh? <laughs> of all the fucking days, she chooses today to give me blue balls. In 1993, Jordan illegally makes $22 million in three hours after securing the IPO of Steve Madden. As we said, these are popular shoes. Steve Madden, played by Jonah Hill's actual childhood friend, Jake Hoffman. Mm. It is weird. If you have $22 million and it's just being like sent to your personal account, I mean, do, just, do alarms just go off everywhere? Not in 1993. No. I guess it depends. I don't know. Probably not. Okay. It's nobody's business. <laughs> <laughs> not if you work on Wall Street. It was a gift. On a routine visit, Steven Spielberg spent a day on set watching the shoot of the Steve Madden speech. Scorsese claims that Spielberg essentially co-directed the scene, giving advice to actors and huh. suggesting camera angles. How many fucking it's movies? still showing up with this stuff? I had no idea. How we many talk- movies have we done where yeah. Spielberg shows up to direct a scene? For just a, a routine stop by and then he's doing a scene. Well, that's the old crew. Yeah. The old no, 70s crew. I, I do crew. like it. Like, I think it's a nice touch. It's just hilarious with Spielberg that that always comes up. Belfort gives this inspired speech. Essentially, the thesis of which is deal with your problems by becoming rich. And he truly becomes like a possessed football coach. Oh, it's like a cult leader yeah, right cult now. cult leader, yeah. football coach, revving up his troops in a way that seems unfathomable insane even and they all go along with it that's one thing that is definitely conveyed in the film is that he has his employees in the palm of his hand oh yeah they are on this ride that's right whereas i think had i accidentally wandered into this place looking for a job i would watch this and think what the fuck is going on this is insane yeah while this was happening i think i would walk out and be like yeah i can't work here I think when I saw somebody getting blown in the elevator, I'd be like, I think I should leave. (laughs) This whole thing obviously brings Belfort and his firm further to the attention of the FBI. Belfort gets wind that the FBI and Agent Denham are poking around, and it drives him nuts. He can't live with this. His fucking private investigator that he has on staff is just like, Cool it. Don't do anything. I was thinking a lot about this scene while I was watching it. Do you think it bothers Belfort when the guy tells him, I asked around about you and no one knows who you are? Even though that's a good thing for him? Do you think he was like, I Um, want people to know who I am? I don't know. I I didn't think the scene plays that way, but I think that there could be that there because 
he wants to keep being bigger and be a presence. He actually ends up inviting Denim and another agent onto his yacht for a chat. Despite the advice of his private investigator not to do anything like this. It goes about as well as you would expect. Uh It's unchecked ego, and he feels like he's playing with house money, not just in this situation, but forever. His whole life at this point has to feel like it's not real and he can do whatever he wants. Yeah. And because up, he's invincible. Up he to this feels point, invincible. The money has allowed him to do whatever he's wanted to do. Yeah, exactly. And he's gone this far and he's flouted the rules and the laws and done whatever yeah. he wanted. So why wouldn't he be able to do whatever he wants? Hey, fellas, come on board. Plank's right around there. Welcome. Whew. What a nice day. Hey, welcome aboard. Jordan, welcome aboard the Naomi. Pleasure to meet you. Agent Denham, this is Agent Hughes. Hi, how are you? Let me introduce you. This is Nicole. Heidi, come on, don't be shy. What are you guys all shy for? <laughs> don't be scared. These are uh, friends of Stratton. It's a pleasure. Hello. Um, <laughs> <laughs> your message said that, that you wanted to speak privately. Right, I do want to speak privately. Give us a minute, huh, ladies? Let me know if I can get you anything. We'd be happy to help. You guys hungry? Want something to eat? Got some uh, pasta, shrimp, lobster. I got whiskey, any kind of booze you want. You know what? The bureau doesn't allow us to drink while we're at sea. Duh. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Ever been on one of these before? A boat? Learn how to sail when I was six. Oh, shit. Is that right? Really? I mean, I'm one like this, though. I mean, I had the whole front extended in order to fit the chopper up there. See that? Anyway, this is for you. It's a complete list of every person that was at my wedding. Yeah, Yeah, well, I understand you wanted the uh, whole wedding video. Figured this would help expedite the whole process, right? There you go. Look, my point is that I know you're investigating Stratton, but for the life of me, I, I, I can't figure out why. I know we're a little unorthodox, we're a little loud in the way we do things, but you gotta understand we're the new guys on the block, you know, trying to make a name for ourselves. But I want you to understand, we don't do anything illegal whatsoever. I mean, you could talk to the SEC. They were at my office 15 times over the last six months. So, I mean, I got, got nothing to hide. Uh, well, you know, the SEC is a civil regulatory agency. We pursue criminal activity. Exactly. You you go after real criminals, which makes me wonder what, what the hell you're investigating me <laughs> for. I mean, honestly, what, what what is it that you think that we did or do? I, I don't get it. Well, I... Jordan, I can't discuss an ongoing investigation. No, I, I get that. No, I understand. With that said, this case got dumped on my desk. Did it? You know, by a higher-up who uh, needs to make a show of looking into the new company on the block, you know, with Loud all the press guys, and everything, the and then press. I end up being the schmuck who does I the looking. It. Exactly. It just, it, you know, it bothers me. We're the new guy, and we're the one that's banging on Wall Street's door. I mean, you should... You should see what's going on at the bigger firms. I mean, I know all the information. Oh. It's true. I'm Goldman, the Lehman Brothers, Merrill, collateralized debt obligations, this internet stock bullshit. I mean, it's a fucking travesty. I mean, I could take you step by step to what exactly is occurring. You know, you, all you have to do is ask. I'm, I'm available. That's exactly what I wanted to hear. Mm-hmm. I don't see why a little sit down like this mm-hmm. can't be profitable for the both of us. It should, right? It should profit the both of us. It should. Look, I'm going to give you my personal line. Five days a week, you just call me, feel free. I'll do that. Great. 
Are you sure you guys don't want something to drink? I mean, you're not hungry? Nothing? Nothing? Oh, no. No? Let me ask you, and if you don't want to get too personal, just tell me to shut up at any time. Oh. Did you try to get your broker's license at one time? Did I hear that right? Were you trying to take a stab at Wall Street? No? Who you been talking to? <laughs> Who the fuck you been talking to? Why you investigate me? I, <laughs> I hear things, you know what I mean? <laughs> You ever think about what would have happened if you would have, you know, stayed the course? You know what? When I'm riding home on the subway and my balls are fucking sweating, I'm wearing the same suit three days in a row. Yeah, you, you bet I do. Yeah. I've thought about it before. Who wouldn't, right? All right, who fucking wouldn't? I mean, what do you get? Another personal question you don't need to answer. No, no, that's all right, Jordan. What do you pulling? 50, 60k, something like that, year, oh. ballpark. Well, let's put it this way. You get a free handgun when you sign up for the Bureau. <laughs> no, but it what fucking pisses me off. You know what I mean? You think about the people that built this country, hardworking people like you. You know, firefighters, teachers, FBI agents. End of the day, you guys get fucking skinned alive financially. It fucking makes me angry. Now, that's the one thing about Wall Street and this market is, for me, I feel it's good to give back. You know, there's, there's situations where I can make those situations better for people, you know? You know what I mean. Opportunity is everything. Exactly. For example, I got this one kid, right? Uh, went, to, went to school for environmental science, something like that. He was bogged down by student loans. Turns out his mother needed triple bypass surgery. Jesus. Right, horrible situation. Sure. Terrible. But we got him in at the market at the right time, chose the right stock. We gave him the right guidance. Boom, overnight changed his entire life, you know, got to put his mother into the best hospital in New York City. It didn't work out for her. Granted, she passed away, unfortunately, but we gave him that opportunity, you know what I'm saying? It's just about setting up the right team, and then overnight, your life can change. What is it? What if it was an intern? Uh, what is an intern making a deal like that? Well, in that situation, I mean, in that particular trade, and with one trade, north of half a million dollars. And I do that for anybody, you know, anybody that needs the proper guidance. Can you say that again? Just the way you said it. Just the same way. Uh, I don't know what you're talking no. about. Oh, come on, you know what I'm talking no, about. I don't know just what say you're the same thing. I think what Jordan just did is he, if I'm not mistaken, no. you just tried to bribe a federal officer. No, technically no. I didn't bribe anybody. No, no, technically that's not the conversation that's, no, I no, no. According Jordan. to the US criminal code, there needs to be an exact dollar figure for an exchange oh. of services that would not hold up in a court of law. That's you need both fucking no, I heard it. No, 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 no. That's the truth. But I want to tell you this. Yeah. The same gentleman that told me that you tried to get your broker's license also told me that you were a straight arrow. You ran a security check on me. Well. Sail on a boat fit for a Bond villain, sometimes you need to play the part, right? I think it's time you both get the fuck off my boat. What do you say? <laughs> you know, Jordan, I'll tell you something. Most of the Wall Street jackasses that I bust, yeah. 
They're, uh, they're to the manor born. Is that right? Yeah. Their fathers are douchebags, just like their fathers before them. But you, you, Jordan, you got this way all on your own. Did I? Good for you, little man. Little man. <laughs> for you. Me, the little man. And let me tell you something. <laughs> no, let me tell you something else. Honestly, I'm not bullshitting here. This is one of the nicest boats that I've ever been on. I got I to gotta tell you. I bet it is. And you know what I was just thinking, too? The fucking hero that I'm going to be back at the office when the Bureau seizes this fucking boat. Because, I mean, fuck it, he fuck, fuck, Jordan. Look at this thing. <laughs> it's beautiful. If you get the beautiful girls there, it's wonderful. <laughs> All right, get the fuck off oh. my boat. I'm sure we'll be seeing each other real soon. I'm sure. Good luck on that subway ride home to your miserable, ugly fucking wives. I'm gonna have Heidi lick some caviar off my balls in the meantime. Hey, you guys wanna take some lobsters for your ride home? Fucking miserable pricks. I know you can't afford them, fucking cheap fucks. Fucking hey, fellas, look what I found in my pocket. Look, a year's salary right here. What I call them? Fun coupons. See that? A fun coupon. The yacht scene is a mess. He clumsily tries to bribe Denim at one point, first with the women, and then he's basically suggesting money. Not outright enough to incriminate himself, but it's right. clumsy yes. and embarrassing. Denim is a Boy Scout, though. He's not going to go for it, and it seems like they're going to meet again down the road. Yeah, I enjoy um what he tells him about what he's going to have Heidi do. <laughs> To hide his money, Jordan opens a Swiss bank account with corrupt banker Jean-Jacques Sorel in the name of Naomi's Aunt Emma, who was a British subject and thus outside the immediate reach of American authorities. He uses the wife and in-laws of his friend Brad, John Bernthal, who's been around the movie but hasn't really factored in much. Well, he started off as... One of his guys in the early days, but then... yeah, but he says he he didn't want to come with them. Like, yeah, he didn't go to the. He never worked for Stratton Oakmont. Right. He does use him as a rat hole, yeah. which is a weird thing to call a human being. But... Well, he refers to him as a successful drug dealer at some point that spends his summers in the south of no, France. No, winters in the winters, south of France, yeah. yeah, which is wild. Where he's where like... it's where he met his wife, who has a European passport. Her and his in laws and. That way they can right. smuggle more cash into Switzerland, into this bank account. And this is one of the parts, though, where you see like Naomi, like an active participant in this stuff. She's in the scene where they're trying to tape the money to she is? Brad's girlfriend. Yeah. I don't remember her being in that I, I thought she was. Okay. Fact check. Well, it doesn't really matter. Right. She's sort of like a mob wife. Yeah. But the crimes are not really violent. So, you know, what are right. they going to do? There's the infamous played and ride to Switzerland, sort of something that you could imagine Ric Flair being involved with. (laughs) Sure. Just being seat-belted to a chair (laughs) for being so fucked up. Oh, I know. I think the lead-up to the plane ride is also interesting because it's a little microcosm of his whole life. Doing drugs nonstop, going to dinner, going to a club, fucking some anonymous woman on a bed where he's almost unconscious, (laughs) ends up on a plane... He's at the point now where he's still doing all of this shit, the drugs, the extramarital affairs, whatever, and it doesn't even translate into fun. Right. He's not even enjoying it in any way, shape, or form. It's just happening. Yeah. Joanna Lumley plays Aunt Emma. This is a pretty hilarious little moment here when they're actually setting this whole thing up and 
they're sitting on that bench. And I know. He thinks that she's hitting on him and she realizes that he's hitting on her and then he tries to kiss her. Yeah. She's just like, okay, what do you I was kind of digging it though. I was like hoping that this was going to turn into something. And then at one point, Jordan is fucking Naomi on literal stacks of cash. Right. Which I guess was pretty uncomfortable in real life. There was I would think. Some cutting going on. The way the movie is, the sequence of events are happening, you're kind of feeling like this was not the point in their relationship where they'd be anymore. No, I think they fight, but then yeah. they, I mean, they have another kid. Sure. Okay. They have to make that kid somehow. <laughs> True. With this bed covered in stacks of money. Look. Yeah. She knows what she's supposed to do. Okay. Until he doesn't have any money anymore. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that is the deal, I guess. Immediate tension between Brad and Donnie, which is not a surprise. Yeah. Donnie is busting balls, being a dick. And Brad is this ornery, tough guy who's not taking shit from anyone. He seems to be cool with Jordan being the boss, but he's not taking fucking orders no. from this clown. I think that Bernthal really punched Jonah in the face and like broke that tooth thing. And wow. Like, yeah. Donnie is a hard guy to take. I understand Brad being upset. <laughs> I know. You're just thinking the whole time, shut the fuck up, Donnie. I know. Let Jordan set this up and smooth right. it over and just shut up. What about my money? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'll, I'll come give you a call and you come pick it up. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me? <laughs> and then it all escalates when Donnie and Brad get into a public fight during a cash exchange <laughs> in a strip mall parking lot, which results in Brad being arrested, but Donnie escapes. Yeah, it's funny the way that this plays out because the aftermath, it takes a while for the ramifications of this to play out. You know what I mean? Well, there aren't really any because Brad won't rat, even though he fucking hates Donnie. He knows that if he rats on Donnie, the whole thing is going to collapse. So he can't say anything. Plus, he just seems like the type of guy that isn't going to rat. Totally. Hey, next time you come over here, bring me a pair of your sister's pants. (laughs) (laughs) Just a wild line at the beginning of the film. (laughs) One of those dudes that lifts weights outside. He takes that baseball bat and puts it in that kid's yeah. crotch. You getting any chicks with that thing? <laughs> Unbelievable. Hey, cool my sister dude. said she doesn't want to call you no more. <laughs> Get the fuck out of here. Mom, we got spaghetti. <laughs> He's like literally Will Ferrell and Wedding Crashers. Like, bah. Yeah, I know what you mean, though, because Donnie's response to this is to panic and then pull out the fucking... <laughs> yeah, I've been saving these. The lemon... Quaaludes, which is sounds like you're t- saying L E M O N, like as in lemon flavored, but it's right. lemons like a last name. They're supposedly three times stronger, so he chooses this time to pull them out, I guess, to maybe distract from what's happening. At this point, Jordan doesn't know that Brad's been arrested, so Donnie doesn't tell Jordan. They take these pills. Nothing seems to be happening. They're watching Family Matters, which I thought was kind of funny. Yeah, and I actually thought the episode chose. A specific scene between Carl Winslow and Steve Urkel when Urkel's like pulling that cord in a hot air balloon and they're right. rising up from the ground and Carl's freaking out and then his response is like, well, maybe if I pull it more, and that's what they do yeah. because they take the pills and it doesn't work and I'm they're not like, let's keep anything. taking more. <laughs> of course, it turns out to be a delayed fuse. This is definitely some of the strangest and most over the top acting of. DiCaprio's career. This is yeah. real 
Gonzo going for it out of the box in a very uncontrolled manner that you would mostly associate with other actors, whether you want to say Johnny Depp earlier in his career or different people. But DiCaprio, I think, is more emotionally contained. He -hmm. has like explosive moments, but you're not really seeing this kind of like freestyling acting that he pulls off in this. I got to tell you, when we saw this in the theater, this sequence was the thing that really did it. This is a lot of balls to do. I th- I know some people didn't like it and thought oh, really? this was like the weak part of the film. I don't agree with that, but I'm saying like yeah. it, I think they saw it similar to the way I saw the improv stuff that mm-hmm. got on my nerves, where it's like too over the top. Yeah, but I think it works because they want to convince an audience of which at least fifty percent, if not more, aren't really familiar with Quaaludes. So it really illustrates like how fucked up and weird it can get. Scorsese claimed that the sequence of Jordan attempting to get in his car while extremely impaired on lemons was improvised on the day of filming and that it was DiCaprio's idea to open the car door with his foot. (laughs) DiCaprio strained his back during the scene and was only able to perform the stunt once. It goes on forever. Definitely. It's peak decadence, which I think is something recurring with every aspect of the film, from its three-hour length to its jam-packed soundtrack to the drugs, to the sex, to the swearing, to everything. So even this scene, of course, has to be just as decadent as anything else. Mm -hmm. He learns from his PI, though, that the FBI is wiretapping his phone. That's how he ends up in this situation where he has to drive out to this place, and then the delayed fuse hits, and then he has to come back. And because of what he learns from his PI, Brad is in prison. He understands that Donnie hasn't been telling him everything, so he (laughs) goes back to the house. Donnie, of course, is on the phone with Sorrell. (laughs) Which Just has been running bugged. his mouth. Luckily, I guess that he is intelligible. Like you can't even yeah. understand what he's saying. They get into this weird fight, <laughs> which is like sort of in slow motion, and their faces are all horrifying and contorted, and they're yelling at each other, but it doesn't make any sense, and they're rolling around. And then at some point, Donnie picks up like a piece of ham and eats it, and then starts choking. <laughs> I did think that the whole thing with the Popeye cartoon and the spinach and then Jordan finding the cocaine and that yeah. like reviving him enough to save Donnie's life. I was like, okay, that's, right. that's a know. little much for me, but that, I get it. But the pacing of him actually doing it and then saving the day, it's a hilarious conclusion to the sequence. Yeah, it's all funny and I get it. It's all part of what I was just saying with mm-hmm. the decadence thing. Of, so let's do it. Let's do the most ridiculous over the top thing and really hit the nail on the head and with the hammer and the yeah. whole thing. But, you know, it's a little cheesy. I too. understand. Right. I don't know enough about drugs to even know if that would work that fast and that way. That's true. I, don't I wouldn't think. Yeah. I don't know. You need to pull out that adrenaline shot, is what it needed to be. Fearing for his son, Jordan's father advises him to leave Stratton Oakmont and lie low while Jordan's lawyer negotiates a deal to keep him out of prison. Jordan, however, cannot bear to quit (laughs) and talks himself into staying in the middle of his farewell speech. And what's sort of become, I guess, the meme of the movie, this scene? I would describe it as one of the greatest scenes in the history of forever. Yeah. Because... Despite all that we know and all that we've seen regarding this character, his behavior, what this shady business is, everything we should hate, it is truly 
a fuck yeah. Yeah, I know. You sort of get into it where you're like, it, it, fuck right. yeah. Even like more than you do the earlier ones where he's winding his guys up. Right, because this is about staying true to yourself yeah. and he really makes it about not taking no for an answer. You really buy into him versus the government, even though <laughs> in this instance the government is right <laughs> and everything they're doing is fucked up. The like I'm not fucking leaving thing though is that's become like the a sports like an athlete coming back to a team like resigning when they're going to be a free agent or whatever. that that has become the thing that they tweet now. Yeah, yeah. It, it gets so much use, right. so much mileage. I love the Kimmy Belzer thing. Oh, I know. I love that part too. But when you think about it, you're like that's f- fucked up too. Yeah. He's forcing this woman to tell them what a great guy he I is. I know. Like tell them how much money I gave you cuz I'm so great. Yeah. And yeah, it is cool that she needed the money and he gave it to her. Although she seems like maybe she's a piece of shit too. They all kind of <laughs> right. are. Yeah, I think you become that in this life. I fucking love you, Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> And it's emotional. Oh, and yeah. even the people who stand to get promotions when he leaves are so happy that he doesn't leave. Right. No one wants him to leave. Now, I've read, and we'll it's maybe bad. touch on this a little bit, that this is a little self-aggrandizing, yeah. that the memoir makes it seem as if he's this big fucking hero, and it wasn't quite like that. Mm-hmm. Probably the employees liked him, but he really builds himself sure, up as yeah. some fucking superhero to these well, people i don't know if i think some of it is probably true. self-perception when you're fucking drugged out all the time too yeah that's yeah. the unreliable narrator that's established at the beginning of the film i think you do have to take a lot of this shit with a grain of salt right. which people kind of forget but it is a religious experience it's a a revival minister in a tent they are possessed by the holy spirit in the crowd right. listening to him they are like losing it it's a total catharsis and jordan belfort is their god in that moment Mm -hmm. i do think that the wolf of wall street completes an unofficial trilogy in scorsese's filmography that began with goodfellas and casino oh yeah you might be thinking the irishman was that movie i was gonna say i feel like you've said that before about the irishman well it is okay and this might be the only time anyone makes this comparison but here it is. Think of the timelines like the Halloween franchise. <laughs> Splitting off in different directions. Okay, yeah. Wolf caps off a three-movie run that takes the viewer through the heart of darkness and tempts us with how much fun evil can be. They wouldn't call it temptation if it wasn't truly tempting, would they? And this is the same filmmaker who made The Last Temptation of Christ, so mm-hmm. I think he knows about temptation. Robert De Niro and Joe Pesci have been replaced by Leonardo DiCaprio and Jonah Hill, but the idea is still the same. Life seems so much better when you can do whatever the fuck you want and you don't have to care about anyone but yourself. It's only the good people that have to suffer. Of course, a good Catholic boy like Marty knows the difference between right and wrong, and religion isn't even required. Anyone with a functioning conscience can get the picture. Mm Mm-hmm. But it is telling that Scorsese finally made silence after this movie, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> maybe to cleanse himself That's a little right. bit. So let's talk about our principal people. I wanted to address that a little bit. Scorsese shows in Wolf of Wall Street that he hasn't lost his fastball, and I don't think he has yet. He has a passion for film that will keep him burning bright till it's all said and done. And I think that he's truly a rarity. Absolutely. You talk about Tarantino and his whole thing about how directors 
lose their edge and how he wants to stop after 10 films. And then he has all of these examples about directors that kind of got shitty towards the end of their career because they didn't care the same way. Mm-hmm. But Not Marty. No, he cares so much. Since The Wolf of Wall Street, he made Silence in 2016 and The Irishman in 2019. He's also done a little bit in TV and documentary stuff. And he has the upcoming Killers of the Flower Moon, mm. which reunites him once again with DiCaprio. He has a bunch of other shit that may or may not ever happen with DiCaprio and even Jonah Hill, which is the Grateful Dead thing with That's right. Jonah Hill playing Jerry Garcia. DiCaprio has slowed down considerably, especially since winning the Oscar in 2015. He's even more choosy, which has always been his trademark, is selecting just the right roles. I think he's only had a few true whiffs, especially in the latter portion of his career, the post-2000 time. I would say J. Edgar is the biggest and the worst. I guess Don't Look Up is debatable. I'm sure he likes it because he's a big environmentalist guy. Sure, yeah. But he's probably passionate about it. But It didn't really quite... Not the rest of us. ...take over the world like some of his other films. But yeah, you look at his resume, his filmography, and it seems like he's very careful about selecting the right things. Because consider this. I think to this day, he's basically sent everything. So he chooses what he wants to do. Right. I don't Um, think there's many things out there that he doesn't read and have have a shot at. I think getting involved with Scorsese at the right time helped. He was always a star and was going to be a star, but he's worked with Scorsese a lot. Yeah, he found the right working partnership. Yeah, I know it can be frustrating. I know that sometimes you want to see directors work with different people, and that is interesting. I would like to see Scorsese work with different actors sometimes too, but when it works, it works. Definitely. DiCaprio has done The Revenant, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood in 2019, and Don't Look Up in 2021. But there was a four-year gap between The Revenant and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. He's got Killers of the Flower Moon, Roosevelt, and he's also playing Jim Jones, Ulysses S. Grant, and Leonardo da Vinci. Okay. I doubt that all of those things actually happen, but it seems like he's taking the safe route Scorsese involved in some of those things, obviously. I would like to see the Jim Jones thing the mm-hmm. most out of those. That would probably be interesting. Jonah Hill has completely forsaken comedy. He takes himself incredibly seriously. He directed mid-90s and TV and documentary stuff. I think he has a project that he's directing with Keanu Reeves, maybe. As far as acting, not a lot to write home about. He was sure. also in Don't Look Up. And he's done some voice work and different shit like that. But he doesn't really do a ton of acting anymore. Right. There's stuff that I'm obviously leaving out. But he was in Maniac, which I liked. And I don't know that a lot of people really watched it. But it's still available on Netflix. And what was that, Gus Van Sant? You won't get far on foot. Don't worry, you won't get far on foot. Yeah, yeah. That seems to be about The type of roles that he's doing, yeah. Yeah, because... He was also a similar character in The Beach Bum. Right. Yes. (laughs) Margot Robbie, well. Mm -hmm. Showstopper. Thankfully, she already has Barbie and Wes Anderson's Asteroid City ready to go for 2023 because 2022 was a rough year for our girl. (laughs) I think that's fair. Amsterdam and Babylon both bombed. 
I would say that unfortunately, and this happens to a lot of male actors, but it can happen to women as well. She's a tad overexposed. I think she's in a lot of things, maybe a few too many. She's also, of course, made a career of being Harley Quinn. She's had a a huge career, everything. Definitely. I, Tanya, her Oscar nominations, whatever. It's all come after Wolf of Wall Street. She is a legitimate actress who has to constantly fight her own insane beauty, which can be a detriment at times. It's quite a fight. Look, I'm yeah. not denigrating Tanya Harding's looks, but sure. she's no Margot Robbie, and it, that's just sort of the problem you Very run into. Very few are. Yeah, that's the that's right. the whole point. Yeah. You are too good looking sometimes. And I think a lot of actresses get famous, but then they can't really get parts because they're too pretty to play certain roles. It yeah. happens a lot. To your point on the overexposure thing, I mean, she has been in a lot of shit in this like ten year span. I know. She's striking while the iron's hot. We know how it's tough for women. Right. That their careers tend to be shorter, unfortunately, and all those different things. And I don't blame her at all, but you started to see some articles this weekend when Babylon failed to oh boy. set the world on fire where she's had two high-profile bombs. Now, I personally would not blame her. There's tons of other people sure. in both of those yeah, movies. Absolutely. And I just think those type of movies aren't going to draw an audience anymore when they know they're going to be on streaming in a couple weeks. But it's a rough beat. Mm-hmm. So it's good that she's already got the next things lined up. Definitely. I think she'll be okay. I'm not worried about this kid. In the wake of Jordan's decision to stay with Stratton Oakmont, the subpoenas start rolling in. He's existing in open defiance, flouting American law. It's just a matter of time. In 1996, Jordan, Donnie, and their wives are on a yacht trip to Italy when Steve Madden starts unloading shares, panicked about Stratton being investigated, and they also learn that Aunt Emma has died which makes for a convenient moment when Jordan can express his grief over Aunt Emma, but he's really pissed about what's going on with (laughs) the stocks. So he wants to immediately go to Switzerland because he's got to forge her signature, essentially. He talks to Sorrel over her cell phone Yeah, they have a plan that's like, look, if you come here and do this, we'll make it look like you did it before. Like this was all done on the up and up, and the money's transferring back to you. The captain of the boat is a little bit unsure of taking the boat from Italy to Monaco, and he's like, there might be some chop. (laughs) (laughs) And Donnie's wife is a little concerned, and she's flipping out, and she's like, if he says it's not safe, we're not fucking going. And Donnie's like, chop, chop, what do you know about chop? I'll chop your fucking credit card in half. How about that? (laughs) I know. Well, it's also so clear that who's calling the shots on these things, because it does not matter. This captain can be like, oh, yeah, it's going to be a fucking tsunami in there. They would have been like, we're going. Yeah, it essentially is. Despite Naomi's grief, Jordan wants to take them to Switzerland to forge Aunt Emma's signature and it, save the account with $20 million in it. It's hard to know the full details of what was at risk. I mean, I know $20 million, but what happens with the money if he doesn't get there and <laughs> do this? I'm not sure. It would probably enter probate, and he probably wouldn't be able to get it. I don't know. Yeah. To bypass border control as he orders the yacht captain to sail to Monaco, but the ship capsizes in a storm. It's a great cut from the sunny, peaceful Italian coast to the horrific storm. I know. It's like, uh, we probably break a few plates. That's probably it. And then, like, literally the jet skis and the helicopter are, like, falling (laughs) off the yacht. They're, like, huge waves. Some of the rooms in in the interior of the yacht are in three to four feet of water. (laughs) It's like, what the fuck? 
It's Titanic revisited yeah. for Leo. I don't know how they survive this. <laughs> I will not die sober. <laughs> He's making Donnie go back down what? into the flooded areas to find the loot. <laughs> fine, like trust me, chop. chop is fine. Is chop fine, Captain Ted? Yeah, I mean, if, if we take it slow. Yeah, we're going to take it slow. We're take it's a little uncomfortable. Dude, tell them it's safe. Yeah, it's it's going to be, be safe because we'll, we'll batten down the hatches and, uh, and secure the deck. And uh, we're looking at a few, maybe a few broken dishes. A few broken dishes? What's a few broken dishes? Does that sound fucking awesome or what? Huh? No, not really. Right? We're going to have a fucking good time. Let's go to fucking Monaco now, huh? Right, Let's right. fucking move. Let's go. Kid! getting rescued by Italians is that they feed you, make you drink red wine, then you get to dance. Exploded when a seagull flew into the engine. Three people killed. You want a sign from God? Well, after all this, I finally got the message. After their rescue at sea, which they must not have even been that far off of the Italian coast because they get rescued by the Italians. That's true, yeah. I didn't think about that. I love the wives dancing. I know. 
after they're rescued. I was saying to you that out of all of the hot scenes with Margot Robbie, I just think she's so gorgeous in I know. this dancing scene wearing those jean shorts. But I also <laughs> love how quick they're able to just move on. You would think, especially if Donnie's wife like was like, we're not going, this is insane. Well, they get drunk. Yeah. They're drinking red wine. <laughs> That's right. Having a time. Handsome Italian men. Yeah. I'm sure she's not thrilled that she's married to Donnie. Sure. Her fucking cousin. Yeah. <laughs> After the rescue at sea, the plane sent to take them to Geneva is destroyed when a seagull flies into the engine. This actually did all happen, including the boat capsizing, including the plane crashing, but it didn't all happen at once. And this was a moment for me in the theater. I remember just being like, okay, now knowing that this did happen, but this plane blowing up too after all this? Yeah, I think they are trying to get you to understand that it's unreliable a little bit because he's the only one that sees it, right. and no one else even reacts to yeah. like it going on. But yeah, it is so that it confusing. doesn't. It does seem like it didn't actually happen, right? But even it though, did, yeah. which is not then. And right. I guess they wanted to include it, but how do you include it? It, it? You know, it was just a choice, probably to. But and I do think that it's actually intentional that you are supposed to feel a little exhausted at this point because he is. Yeah. Well, Jordan takes this all as a sign from God to finally address his worsening drug addiction, and he attempts to sober up. I do think it's funny the first time that they're flying over to Switzerland, and he's tied to his chair after that (laughs) fucking outburst where he was humping everyone and punching people and screaming and rolling on the floor. And Donnie just says, in all seriousness, I think you may have a drug problem. But it's when Jordan is sober, moving himself into some bullshit self-help, get-rich-quick seminar bullshit, when things finally start to crash down around him. In 1998, the FBI finally arrests Jordan because the Swiss banker Sorrell gets himself arrested on U.S. soil for an unrelated offense related to Benihana and Rocky Aoki, which is a real thing, and Mm -hmm. has informed the FBI about Jordan. It turns out, not surprisingly, that the evidence against Jordan is pretty overwhelming. <laughs> you want a beer, pal? Uh, what do you drink? I got this non-alcoholic shit. What's that? It's like a non-alcoholic beer. It's got no no alcohol. Is it beer? Yeah, with no alcohol. But you drink enough, and if you drink a lot, they get you fucked up. No, there's no alcohol. That's the fucking point. I'm not a scientist. I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. I can give you beer if you want fucking no, beer. No, but I, I don't drink, you remember? I don't drink anymore. Oh, you want to go inside and blow some lines of bacon powder? <laughs> <laughs> Can't imagine Evan not enjoying getting fucked up. Yeah. I love it. I was being sober. It fucking sucks. Boring, right? I'm so boring. I want to kill myself. There's some great moments here with Donnie and the non-alcoholic beer. Right. His life is almost crashing down in slow motion which is in stark contrast to how fast the world was moving at first because even though we haven't gotten to the big moment yet between him and naomi it seems that the writing is on the wall even if he doesn't know it yet a little surprising to me that he was the only one initially taking the fall here now obviously that changes I guess they just didn't have enough clear evidence as to what everyone knew and what they were specifically doing. Yeah. I would have thought Donnie, though, just because he also had money in those Swiss Bank's accounts. Yeah. 
But I'm not sure about what really happened. I know right, that in true. real life that the guy that Donnie's based on did more jail time than Jordan Belfort, which mm. is, seems crazy yes. based on the movie. But we really don't know the specifics of a lot of this stuff totally. and what was actually happening. I think in real life by this point, way before this, the Donnie guy was actually in charge of Stratton Oakmont, mm-hmm. at least in name. Yeah, well, I do know that Jordan did leave earlier than the movie portrays. Jordan agrees to gather evidence on his colleagues in exchange for leniency. He then tries to rally the troops at home, sweet-talking Naomi, trying to make the future seem okay. You can tell she's not interested. (laughs) He wants to make love. She's not interested. Everything has gone cold. They do it anyway. It seems almost rapey at first, and then she turns it on saying, fuck me like it's the last time. And even like watching this movie and knowing where this is headed, when she's doing that voice and she's got him between her legs and the whole thing, I'm thinking like, good Lord. (laughs) (laughs) She's like, fuck me like it's the last time. Come for me. She's saying some wild shit. I know. Well, not wild, but pretty standard. You can tell where it's all heading, though. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Even watching this in the theater for the first time. You're thinking, okay, how does he not know right. that this is over? I yeah. was thinking that when fucking Donnie comes over for the non-alcoholic beer and she gives him the finger and right. he's like, yeah, she's real pissed and whatever. It's like, dude, <laughs> this is she's over. a trophy wife yeah. and you're no longer deserving of a trophy. Right. <laughs> you no longer have the trophy. It's yeah. over. When Jordan finishes, Naomi tells him that it was, in fact, the last time they'll ever be having sex. She tells him she is divorcing him and wants full custody of their daughter and infant son. Which I would say he reacts unfavorably to. Full on screaming. Uh-huh. They're running around to different rooms. She slaps him. He slaps her back. Jordan then runs to the other room, takes a knife, and cuts into a couch, throwing the feathers everywhere, finding some stashed cocaine. Which is interesting that he's been sober, but... Wasn't really ready to get rid of well, all the secret spots. I get it. Yeah. An emergency <laughs> situation. <laughs> he ends up punching Naomi in the stomach. Jarring for us, the audience. Yeah. That was an interesting moment with a Christmas Day crowd. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, really. In a movie full of insane excess... This was the thing that the audience was not on True. board for. Rightfully so, of yeah. course. And it is played that way, too. Gets played in a more cold way than everything else that happens. Yeah, and there was an audible gasp oh, yeah. from the people in the theater. Well, I guess even though there were victims all along, we never saw them. Right. And that at a certain point, you can talk yourself into thinking that many of them were rich anyway and... It didn't matter as much, but... Or being dummies. We didn't see their faces. We didn't hear their sob stories. We didn't hear the whole thing, which is, of course, again, a criticism of the film. We know that. But this moment, there's a violent act perpetrated by one person to another, and we see it. And it does feel like that record scratch moment of, like, this was all sort of fun and games until this. And then... He goes into the daughter's bedroom, grabs her, and now you're thinking, oh, God, don't involve the kids. And he tries to drive away with Skylar, but crashes his car in the driveway. Sort of embarrassing, but also dangerous. And this is as dark as the film gets, really. Yes. Because this isn't Goodfellas. Nobody gets murdered. 
as bad as Jordan Belfort is as a human being, he didn't kill anyone, uh-huh. to my knowledge. But so, I think this is his rock bottom moment. Yeah, this in is terms the last third of Goodfellas yeah. for real. This is where it's all finally crashing down. It's so fucking great. Oh, God. Yeah. That was the last time. What do you mean, Mamie? I mean, that was the last time we ever have sex. I... What are you talking about? I want a divorce. What do you mean you want a divorce? What is that supposed to mean, you want a divorce? Get off me. I want a divorce. Get off me. Just make love to me. What the fuck is wrong with you? I don't love you anymore, Jordan. You, you, don't, you don't love me? You don't love me anymore, huh? Well, isn't that just fucking convenient for you? Now that I'm under federal indictment with an electronic bracelet around my ankle, now you decide you don't fucking love me anymore. No. Is that right? No. What kind of person are you? Tell me. You married me. The fuck is that supposed Jordan, to mean? I'm... This is how it's going to go. I'm going to take custody of the kids. If you agree to the divorce right now, I will allow visitation. Okay? Don't try to fight it. Oh It'll save us both a lot of money, and I got a feeling you're going to need it. You're not taking my kids, sweetheart, you hear me? I've already talked to the lawyer. He said even if you don't get convicted, I've got a good chance of getting them. I got news for you. You're not fucking taking my yes, children, you vicious fucking cunt. Fuck you, you fucking bitch! You're not fucking taking my goddamn fucking kids, you hear me? Fuck you! You're not fucking taking my fucking kids! yourself, Jordan. Sick. You're a sick man. Fuck you. I told you you're not taking my fucking kids, you fucking... You think I would let my kids near you? Look at yourself. You know what my lawyer said? My lawyer said that you're going to prison for 20 years, Jordan. 20 fucking years. You're never going to see the kids again. You don't think I'm going to see my fucking... No, I'm not fucking letting you near my kids. You don't don't think I'm going to see my fucking kids again, huh? Don't you fucking touch me. Don't you fucking touch me. Daddy, you right? You're coming on a trip with Daddy. Don't you fucking touch him, Jordan. I swear to God, I will fucking kill you. All right, baby. Daddy and me go on a little trip together, okay? A little trip together. Get the key! Get the key! Daddy, Jordan, you open this fucking door right now! Okay? Open the door! There you go, sweetie. There you go, get your legs in. I'm taking her with me! I told you I'm taking her with me, you fucking bitch! You're not gonna stop me! You're not gonna stop me! Little trick, buddy. Alright? No! Get the hell out of you! Get him back! Get him back! Get him back! Get him back. Get him back.
But even at the start of their fight, I think the film makes it clear that Naomi is not an innocent. She is a victim because, of course, she gets punched oh, in the yeah. stomach. But she's sort of like a mob wife, and she even says, "You knew who I was when you married me." That type of a vibe. Right. I don't know if that's exact quote. She says, "You you married me," kind of a thing, mm-hmm. implying like you knew what this was. Doesn't now that it, he's hit rock bottom, it's time for her to bolt. Doesn't it seem like the next guy would be like the divorce lawyer? Like it seems like Probably. one of those types of situations. Later, Jordan wears a wire to work, but slips a note to Donnie warning him. The FBI discovers this, arrests Jordan, and then raids and shuts down Stratton Oakmont. However, despite breaking his original deal, Jordan receives just a reduced sentence of 36 months in a minimum security prison for his testimony and is then released in the year 2000 after serving... Mm-hmm. 22 months. But that's the thing. We saw the rock bottom moment with Naomi. You think that prison is going to be the icing on the cake of rock bottom. However, it quickly spins in his narration to, you want to know what's great about being in prison if you're rich. Yeah, it's basically just a country club situation. After his release, Jordan earns a living hosting seminars on sales techniques. An unexpected person to thank for the film's existence is Tommy Chong, one half of the stoner comedy duo Cheech and Chong. Hmm. Chong was serving a sentence in a Californian prison for selling drug paraphernalia over the internet. Wow. And he was cellmates with Jordan Belfort, who was serving a 22-month sentence for stock fraud. Belfort told Chong multiple stories from his days as a stockbroker, and it was upon Chong's encouragement that Belfort wrote his book, The Wolf of Wall Street resulting in the film. Wow. So there's a lot to come to grips with as an audience, especially the morality of the film, the making of the film, and the real Jordan Belfort getting rich. And he appears at the end of the film as the guy that introduces the fake Jordan Belfort at this seminar in Auckland, New Zealand. It's sort of a motivational bullshit thing. It starts with the whole selling of the pen thing, which Uh he did with Brad, who, by the way, died at the age of 35, just like Mozart. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why I remember that. As I was watching this movie at the age of 35. (laughs) Although I'm assuming that some drugs played a part in a shortened life, yeah. However, I think that Scorsese's choice to end the film on the last image, the eager faces of the masses who have attended this speech, this presentation... Mm -hmm is key because there is a certain culpability in us. And this is what we're going to get into as we go, as we, as we start to address these problems here at the very end. But that is really what those faces are. Yeah. They all want to learn from this guy. How can we do what you did? Is it gross and unfortunate that the yes. real Belfort is in the film? Oh. <laughs> yes. Uh-huh. But that's just sort of the way it goes. Yeah. While this whole thing is playing out and Jordan's going to prison and all of that stuff, we see Denim riding that subway home with his sweaty balls and the whole thing. And oh, yeah. He's looking around, and they want us to know that, yes, it sucks. Right. Because that's part of it, too. Because part of what's on trial here in the film is society and the way that it works. I know. The way that it's bullshit. Yes, it would be more fun eating lobster on a luxury yacht with Heidi. 
Right. And I don't think that rich men like Scorsese and DiCaprio are unaware of that. They right. know that it's better yeah. to be on the yacht. But the unfortunate thing about our, the way our society works is that it allows for people who achieve this in some misbegotten, illegal way to do it too. Yes. And then the big payoff is 22 months in a white-collar bullshit country club prison. Right. And that's it. And that's fucked up. And it that's what's wrong. Yeah. More than the movie itself. So let's get into it, finally. Okay. Let's talk about the big problems. All right. We're just starting the podcast yeah, right this now. Is like, it's like Matt's the departed. Like having a panic yeah. attack. I'm never going to get to go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're taking a break. Yeah. Before Gotta episode finish strong. 300. Christina McDowell, daughter of Tom Prisalis, who worked closely with the real-life Belfort at Stratton Oakmont, wrote an open letter addressing Scorsese, DiCaprio, and Belfort himself, criticizing the film for insufficiently portraying the victims of the financial crimes created by Stratton Oakmont for disregarding the damage that was done to her family as a result and for giving celebrity status to persons, Belfort and his partners, including her father, who did not deserve it. Stephen Perlberg of Business Insider saw an advanced screening of the film at a Regal Cinemas near the Goldman Sachs building with an audience of financial workers. Perlberg reported cheers from the audience at what he considered to be all the wrong moments, stating, quote, when Belfort, a drug addict attempting to remain sober, rips up a couch cushion to get to oh, his wow. secret coke stash, there were cheers. That's weird, because that is during the darkest moment of the movie. Former assistant United States attorney Joel M. Cohen, who prosecuted the real Belfort, criticized both the film and the book on which it was based. He said that he believes some of Belfort's claims were invented, as for instance... Quote, Belfort aggrandized his importance and reverence for him by others at his firm, which is something I said before. He strongly criticized the film for not depicting the thousands of scam victims who lost hundreds of millions of dollars, not accepting the filmmaker's argument that it would have diverted attention away from the wrongdoers. He deplored the ending, quote, beyond an insult to Belfort's victims in which the real Belfort appears while showing a large sign advertising the name of Mr. Belfort's real motivational speaking company and a positive depiction of Belfort uttering, quote, variants of the same falsehoods he trained others to use against his victims. Of course, various other scholars and individuals have criticized the film as materialistic, encouraging greeting behavior, extreme wealth, and advocating for the infamous individuals portrayed in the film. You get the point. I do. And yes, I will say there is a lot to reconcile with The Wolf of Wall Street. For starters, as has been pointed out, Belfort himself appears in the film. It's his book that's being adapted. He is profiting. The real-world victims are left off-screen and are forgotten. But I guess my point is that art, for better or for worse, is a reflection of life. So in that sense, Scorsese's film is nothing but honest. Yeah, I just don't think this is that movie where... I think you can understand what's being said without having to see the victims. We can pretend the world is a better place when we lie to ourselves on social media, but the truth is the world celebrates the Jordan Belforts and wishes they could be him. Not everybody, but a lot. Too many for comfort. Sure. I truly believe that Terrence Winter, Scorsese, and everyone else were crafting this story in such a specific way to allow us to understand that the true villains were not necessarily just Belfort and his Stratton Oakmont cronies, as horrific 
as they may be, but society itself. So think about it. 22 months in prison. A minimum security resort rich people prison. (laughs) Even after going back on his deal. And now you expect art to reflect what exactly? Mm -hmm. The film is supposed to clean up the mess that lawmakers, the government, and society at large mostly let slide? Fuck off. I know. If you told me The Wolf of Wall Street is going to end with Jordan Belfort being sentenced to 40 years in prison, by the time we got to the ending, I would have definitely believed it. Absolutely. It's shocking, the minimal amount of punishment that's happening here. Especially when you consider the decade worth of investigation, the money and the man hours used, and that's all they got out of it. I mean, we're talking millions of dollars that is acquired through illegal ways. But... That's not how the film ended. That's Mm -hmm. not what happened in real life. If the film feels like a celebration of cheating, lying, breaking the law, and bad behavior, maybe that's because it is because that's what's real. Portraying it any other way would be disingenuous. Believing that art has some kind of moral responsibility to be better than reality, some moral responsibility to tell any story any certain way to make it either more palatable or more socially conscious or whatever is the same belief that is killing the film industry right now from within. It's not supposed to be some moral arbiter to tell us what to think. It's a reflection of the world, and the reflection is this is what happened. This guy lived this life and got away with it, essentially. And to act otherwise is stupid. Mm -hmm. Now, could they have included more of the victim stuff to make people understand the ramifications of these things? Maybe, but... I don't think it would have really fit with this film. That wasn't the artistic choice. And again, I think that trying to anticipate how an audience reacts to art is not art then anymore. You know what I mean? I do, yeah. You can't get upset if the wrong people like your movie or if people like it for the wrong reasons or I mean, whatever. I'm, I hate to break it to these people. In most instances, that's going to be the case. Well, yeah, there is a countless amount of other films that have... I've dealt with this too. But I think sure. it's a big part of the narrative of this story. I agree. And I do get it. Everything that they said isn't exactly false or anything like that. True. Yeah, absolutely. I just think that if you pay attention to what they're going for, especially at the end of the film, I think that is the idea, is that it's more of an indictment on society at large for not only allowing this to happen, encouraging this to happen, but even knowing what happened being eager to try to live it themselves to replicate it but i also think that there is that thing where people react to it in a way of yes this is an awesome fuck you what these people are doing is inspiring in some way but if you're paying attention and you called this out early on no one seems particularly happy i don't watch this thinking like oh yeah this is great i would love to do yeah but you're you're interpreting it in the normal way yeah which is someone who's like a normal person but they're talking about the people who were cheering at the cocaine being shot. Sure. They're not looking at those faces and thinking these aren't happy people. They're not <laughs> interpreting it that way. But that's what I'm saying. You yeah. can't account for how sure. people are missing the context clues. But again, I guess they're saying that there's such a percentage of people that would weigh the positives and the negatives and decide that it would be worth becoming this person if they got to do all the fun stuff too, I don't know. Well, it's a bummer. I mean, that's, if there's that that's my whole point that is that's that way. real. Yeah. That's yeah. the world. Right. That is what would happen. Exactly. So the Wolf of Wall Street, happy new year, ass clowns. 
what a year it's been. We made a pledge to ourselves starting back in August that we were going to make a real push, and we've made it Shocking. to get to 299. Now it's time for a little bit of a break to get to 300. Thank you so much for your support this year. It means a lot. We've loved all of the ratings and reviews, the comments on Twitter, the tweets, the direct messages, all of that. It's been great. Yeah, I rarely see things through, so pretty cool that we made it through this run. Well, we came up with a goal. We started making schedules. We really yeah. went for it. What are you doing? What? What? Vincent stopped making picks. Well, how am I going to know what movies to see? We have a wide variety of gene picks. Gene's trash. I'm Gene. So let's do a quick recommendation corner. We might as well, since there's so many new things out there we can talk about one because it was available on netflix Mm -hmm. and we just did the episode for knives out i guess we'll give our brief thoughts on glass onion a knives out mystery which is sort of a clumsy title i know ryan johnson is not thrilled that they had to include knives out yeah that stinks but that's what the money's for (laughs) when it started out and i was not really that excited about it i loved the first one but I don't know. Yeah, I remember I was when skeptical. we did it, you didn't like the idea of doing I, I was a franchise just out of skeptical. But look, open-minded. I like Ryan Johnson, like Daniel Craig, and it seemed like a fun cast. And for the first act, I was pretty into it. Okay, yeah, I was wrong. This is fun. I'm having as much... A lot of the shit that of them making fun of like influencers and the current celebrity culture and everything was making me laugh. And I was having a good time with it, but just as it went on, I was less so. It really just kind of lost me after a while. I still think it's a a fun time. I wasn't like, this is terrible, but just failed to keep me interested in having the same amount of fun and enjoying like the playing with misdirection, which they did do again, but I just didn't think it was as effective as the first movie. And maybe that's because you're expecting the misdirection now. The... Mystery itself was not as interesting. I would say the film was about half as charming. I liked some of the cast. Other parts of it were sort of disappointing, even though some of them were people that I traditionally like. I just wasn't really blown away. There were moments tucked into it and little Easter egg type things that I found fun and interesting, some of which I picked up on right away, some of which I found on Twitter later, Mm -hmm. but... It didn't save the movie or anything for me from being sort of a letdown. I probably liked it about as much as you, which is that I enjoyed it. I wasn't bored by it, right? but it didn't connect with me in the same way that Knives Out did. I think that in a weird way, because of the timeliness of parodying a an Elon Musk-type character... Yes. It becomes one of those things, sort of like Don't Worry Darling or some of this other stuff where they back you into a corner where it's as if you have to say that you like the film because the politics of it are right or the optics of it are right. If you say that you don't like the film, then it's like, oh, what? So you're like a big Elon Musk fan? I don't know. Like, it just sort <laughs> yeah. of becomes this thing. I love when people make those types of connections. Well, just be yeah. That, well, that's what we are with like some of these movies now. It's like, well, if you agree with the politics, that means that you like the movie. And it, I don't know. That it just gets into this weird area. Like, I don't mind that they're goofing on these types of people. Oh, yeah. In fact, that would I thought that was be funny. Cool. 
that doesn't mean that you've strung together two and a half hours of like a great movie either. Yeah, and I don't want to like give away any specifics, but the actual mystery elements of it, you kind of don't even really care. Right. By the end. And then the actual ending is kind of unsatisfying and I thought so. I don't know. I was almost reaching annoyance with within the last very end, like the last like 10 15 minutes or so. I was starting to get to like ah. Right. A little bit ready for it to just be over. Yeah, it is what it is. Will I watch the third one? Probably. Sure. I'm sure the cast will, announcements will all be interesting, and mm-hmm. who knows? And it, it, considering the format of the films, it could be better than sure. the second one. Sure, like absolutely. It completely yeah, starting over the thing and whatever, but yeah, I would say that it was not as good as Knives Out, but it was still kind of watchable. Sure. So if you're a fan of Knives Out or whatever, you can... Check out Glass Onion on Netflix. It was a huge success, I guess, oh, yeah. in terms of streaming hours, which I guess is going to be the future, considering we talked about Margot Robbie's disappointments this year. I think releasing films like those ones that she was in and The Fablemans and Armageddon Time and Bones and All and all that shit, there isn't much of a future as far as theatrical for that stuff. It, it's pretty obvious now. I think yeah, we get that. That's a bummer, too. It Sad sucks, and I'm not yeah. happy about it. But we saw, we started to see it last I year know. with these high profile bombs, and then all of a sudden this year it's. I know. Other than Avatar and superhero stuff and Top Gun, it's like good luck. <laughs> all right, thanks for listening. Follow the show on Twitter at Greatest Pod. Make sure you're subscribed on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, etc. If you have a listener request and you have not already done so, you have until January 6th to get that into us on Twitter. And we will do it for free. After that, there will be a charge. We'll discuss that more when we return from our break for episode 300. If you'd like a free sticker, that will remain free. And you can let us know on Twitter. You can find us on Letterboxd, Zach1983, Matt Crosby. And in the time while we're away for a few weeks, if you have not already done so, please give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It will give us something to read and hold us over till we return. Thanks for listening. Anything else? I don't think so. Look to uh, 2023 to be a big year for the show. Yeah, we have a lot of good shit planned. Plus, Matt's talking about merch. That's right. We got all kinds of stuff. So hang in there. We'll be back probably about mid-January. Talk to you then.
but there's the a big is. chance, right? Yeah, you know, yeah, there's like a 60%, you know, 60 to 65% chance the kid's gonna be fucking retarded or whatever. That scared the shit out of me, buddy. I look, man, a lot of having a kid or whatever takes risks, whether you're fucking cousins or not. What, what if you, I mean, what if something like that happened? I basically, you know, if the kid was retarded, I would, I would, you know, drive it up to the country and just like, you know, open the door and let us say, you're free now, you know, like run free. You look like you fuck. No, we would take it to like an institution or somewhere that's handled to like, you know, raise the kid or whatever.